Hello and welcome to episode 55 of Adult Music, the podcast with music for the mature mind. Your co-host Russ here and Mike over there. Mike, Mike. holy cow, it's episode 55? Yeah. I can't believe it. We're cracking them out. Yeah, we are. Well, we're going to try. Yeah, we're going to try not to miss any this year. So Yeah, no, we're going to hopefully be here all year. We'll bring in the new year with you. We'll have 52 more episodes under our belt. Maybe 53, depending on when we started this yeah. year. I don't know, because it might be there might be a half week in there somewhere. Yeah, maybe we'll get some extra ones in, too, if something exciting happens. And it's the... Uh, that we're, that we're doing this on the uh, the last day of winter. So when this oh, comes right. out, it'll be the first day of spring. First day of spring. Yeah. And if there's any new listeners Well, it'll be here, the first day of spring in Japan when it comes out, not in the U.S. It'll still be the last day of winter. There. That's right. Mm-hmm. We uh, bring you six, usually six, sometimes more, uh, new releases in classical and jazz music every week. And also... And you should be listening to us because we're awesome. Yeah. And we're the only people doing this. Come on, man. <laughs> we are yeah, getting more listeners, though, which is very yeah, we're cool. getting more listeners. So, yeah. um, And, uh, well, uh, just to let you know, too, we talk about music because we can't play it here because of copyright reasons, but we do have all of the links for music available, uh, including a week well, early. Well, we could, we could risk it, but we don't want to yeah. deal with uh, being taken down, possibly, and stuff. And uh, there's also, mm-hmm. you'd have to splice it all in. That'd be a big pain. That would be harder. I think if we're going to do it, see, this is a two-man operation. Yeah. That, that's really all it is. That's so uh, we need to hire people <laughs> in order to do some of that stuff. Mm. We need a, a Jamie like Joe Rogan's got, you know, somebody who's going to do all that stuff for us. But we'd have to pay him. And in order to pay him, we'd have to be being paid. And that's not happening yet. <laughs> so. Well, that's not get discouraged quite yet. Um, no, we, we've got another five or six years of uh, yeah. <laughs> just doing it for free you know, in front of us. That's cool. So I think uh, I'd be doing this anyway because I have nothing else to do. You yeah, know, It helps you organize your music listening. Yeah, and big. for our listeners, uh, for everything we're going to talk about tonight, you'll find links in uh, the description to Spotify and Apple Music. Uh, also at the top of the description to the, the episode, you'll find a link to the full episode playlist. That's all the music in one place on Deezer, our preferred streaming service. Uh, you can also follow the podcast there with the uh, playlist every week. Uh, just look for us, Adult Music Podcast, and we should pop up in the search category. Now, if you don't see the full description or the list on whatever app you're listening to, you can come over and check us out on our host site, Podbean, where everything's easy to follow. And if you enjoy the podcast, please do follow or subscribe on whatever app or platform you listen to us on. If you give us a ranking or write a review, that helps us get listed in the category recommendations. That helps us increase our audience. And you can also find us on Facebook. Uh, We've got a page there, too. You can leave a message or comment there. If you'd like to contact us directly uh, with any comments or questions by email, we'd like to hear from you. Our email address is adultmusicpodcast. That's all one word at gmail.com. We'll be sure to reply to you. And if you'd like to listen to the music early, uh, the previously mentioned playlist on Deezer, I always get up right after I put the podcast up so you can uh, find out what we're going to talk about the following week, uh, six days early. Yeah, I really only do this podcast to justify my uh, CD collection. Like if I didn't do it, I'd just feel guilty. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, so, but now I feel like I'm a professional, so you know I can. Uh, yeah, I could just buy more of them. Just keep buying them. Just keep buying them. I need I need it for the show. That's true. Well, when yeah. we do make money, you can start writing them all off as a uh, business expense. That would be awesome. Be nice. Get some new stereo equipment too. Speaking of which, I've got some new stereo equipment, and um, I'm never going outside again. Because I'm really enjoying the the sound quality I'm getting now. I kind of I upgraded a bit. Well, you know, you know the coronavirus yeah. is still out there, and then pretty soon it's going to be that Kosa, uh, the sand from the Gobi Desert that comes here in Japan that can oh boy. play with your sinuses. Then it'll be the rainy season, and then it'll be too hot. So you might as well just stay inside. Yeah. Well, during listening. the rainy season, I think it'll be nice because. Yeah. Uh, one of the things about listening in Japan is in the summer you have to have the air conditioning on and in the winter you have your heater on so uh, there's all this kind of background there's a low hum going on in the room while you're listening so spring and autumn are the best times because right. you don't have to have any of that stuff on and you just you just hear silence it's really good yep I agree yeah the things you have to think about when you listen to non-loud music you know <laughs> <laughs> or at least music with dynamic range, yeah. With dynamic range, because it, it goes down into the, the softer. And boy, we had a, one really quiet one today, didn't we? Yeah, for but, sure. But uh, we'll get to that we'll get to <laughs> very that. soon. All right, um, what do we got Speaking to, of uh, CDs, yeah, speaking of CDs, we have, we just received our first free CDs. I want to encourage this, by the way, from uh, people out there. Send us free, C free CDs, especially me, because <laughs> I collect them. Well, I would but, say uh, that we got some from... Uh, Bruno last year. Oh, Bruno sent us some too. Bruno yeah, Dombra. Yeah, I forgot. Bruno. No, no, no. He, we, well, he sent us one free one. Oh, yeah. Mine was I free. Bought, I, yeah, yours was free. I bought mine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because he, he heard the podcast and then he sent the second one free. So, right. Which was very nice of him. Thank you, Bruno. That's right. Well, anyway. We're waiting for your new album. So these CDs we got today, as you can yeah. tell from the episode title, are the latest release from Ranitsky. Ranitsky. Okay, now we have to make an announcement here. We're going to have a new segment on the show, and it's going to be called Ranitsky Releases. Yeah. Both anytime. words spelled with a W-R. Of course. <laughs> of course. So anytime a new release comes out of Ranitsky's music, uh, we're going to uh, get it on as soon as we can. Now, uh, for listeners who don't know the backstory on this, uh, last year, uh, the first volume of Ranitsky uh, orchestra works was released and uh, I noticed it right away and of course I hadn't heard of Ranitsky before because almost no one had and Mike hadn't either so I said let's talk about this and uh, so we talked about it and then the evil genius mastermind bef behind getting all of this music out uh, over in Sweden uh, Daniel Bernardson contacted us because he was looking to see if anyone was uh, talking about this music uh, that he's spent uh, many, many years uh, finding in archives around Europe and digitizing it and making it available uh, to musicians to play and uh, now record. And uh, so we talked about that first release and there's uh, three in that series of orchestra releases. And uh, you can also check our interview number three with Daniel and uh, the conductor, who's going yeah. to be featured on the CD that we have here. Uh, yeah, he's Stilops. been on every one of these recordings so yeah. far. 
Marek um, Stilek, right? Marek Stilitz, yeah. I think is how Stilitz. That's okay. right. And uh, so we've got a new one. And uh, <laughs> well, Daniel tried to get the CDs to us, and they got here just in time. Luckily, we've already listened to it on. Um, we heard them on Deezer. On yeah. Deezer on streaming. And, he's, and he sent us the, the booklet notes, too, which are pretty extensive, I have to say. Yes. A, he's very thorough. And um, um, if you, This is one of those things where you, you, you don't know who Ranitsky is, and then you read his booklet notes, and then you really know more than really anybody else except him, I, yeah. I guess. You know? <laughs> and uh, fortunately, also Daniel makes these uh, orchestral scores available. Uh, if you go to uh, the Renitsky Project website, I'll put a link in it with the album information. And I had fun on this one following along with the score uh, because uh, it's not a full orchestra <laughs> uh, you know, score, which is really hard to uh, manage yeah. on a screen. But this one is uh, fairly easy with just a few string parts, oboe, flute, and a continuo. And uh, it was interesting uh, to use. And so uh, this is what we're talking about here. It's Renitsky works for oboe. And this is on the Arco Diva label. Yeah. All right. And the uh, oboe soloist is Filem Feferka. I ho hope I'm saying that right. This is your I have no experience speaking, you know, talking about uh, Czech or Eastern European names. And he's the oboe soloist. And uh, we have the Ranitsky Kapel. Well, they even have a, he even has an orchestra uh, ensemble named after him now. I'm guessing right. they, they put this together for this project. Right. And uh, Marek, of course, Malik Stiletz is, is the conductor on the Arco Diva label. Now, the, the other three we did were all on the Naxos label. And I think there are going to be more releases. On that label as well. By the way, part of the reason we decided to do the Ranitsky releases um, uh, section of this program is because there are a lot of he there are suddenly a lot of them coming out, right? Um, and um, we rather flatter ourselves to think that we uh, may have had something to do with that. You know, maybe uh, <laughs> the record execs heard us talking about him. I know that Daniel's out there proselytizing for everybody. And um, so we decided to just go with it. Not only that, but we do genuinely like his music. It's really interesting. And it's a, it's a great new discovery for us. And we'd like to be part of um, the uh, team that uh, puts Ranitsky's music back into the world. Well, it's an interesting the, feeling uh, halls. with mm -hmm. music like this. You know, every once in a while... Uh, you know, I know, in the, like in the jazz world, just a couple of years ago, there was like the Lost Coltrane recording. Yeah, you know? and so everyone wanted to hear, you know, you know what was what was on that record, and you know what gaps does it fill, and what new ideas could have come out of that, because you know it's going to be new to our ears, even though it's historical, and that's what I think makes in the similar idea on a grander time scale, uh, going back to you know classical music era where most people think that, uh, oh, we've heard all of that music. And uh, no, you haven't, especially from a major fact, composer. You, you've like you've only heard a tiny percentage of oh, yeah, it. Yeah. There was loads of it around, you know? Yeah. History doesn't, mm -hmm. uh, history consolidates and uh, casts out uh, some things just by chance or bad fortune. But now we're fortunate enough to uh, hear this other great composer. And uh, so far, it's been really interesting. Yeah, we should also mention this is um, Paul Ranitsky. He had a brother, Anton, who's, I guess we're going to eventually hear his music too, yeah. but right now it's all Paul Ranitsky. He's yeah, there have the, been uh, a few recordings over the years, but not many. Uh, but now yeah. because of Daniel's work and uh, Merrick's uh, passion for getting this music recorded, 
uh, we're going to hear a lot more of it. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with these works for oboe. Um, let me just kind of talk about a, more, a little more introductory material for this particular album. It was recorded uh, September to October 2021. So that's after the interview. So this is one that um, right. yeah. they already knew about us when they were making this one. I think this is the first one we've heard that was um, recorded after the we interviewed Daniel and uh, Marek. And uh, as I said, the booklet notes are thorough, informative, and well-presented. Very clear. If you don't know much about music, that's not going to be a problem. They're pretty easy to understand. So Daniel did a good job there. Um, okay, Paul Ranitsky and his younger brother Anton, we learn, um, both received their first formal music instruction at the local Premonstratensian Monastery. Premonstratensian Monastery. I hope I said that right. This is why I don't work in radio, because <laughs> you have to be able to say these things. I don't know. Some people can do that. And that's important because that's where this recording was made, at that monastery. Wow. And I, I think it's what we see on the album cover, too. We, I think it's a picture of that, uh, that monastery. Yeah, you know, yeah, because I yeah. looked up the location uh, mm -hmm. on Google Maps, because I was in uh, Czech Republic mm -hmm. uh, what 2019, and I had gone a little bit down and close to Austrian border. So I wanted to see if I had been anywhere in that area. Unfortunately, I wasn't. But if I go back, it looks really nice. So, so you've you've been to Prague? Yes, yes. That that was a big thing in the eighties because, like, you know, in I think it was in Noah Baumbach's movie Kicking and Screaming. Um, his girlfriend is talking. This this one guy's character's girlfriend is talking to him about uh, the unbearable lightness of being. The Milan mm. Kundera uh, book that was really popular then when I was in college. And uh, he didn't read the uh, he hadn't read the book, but he said he knew he knew what it was about. And uh, his girlfriend asked him, "You know, have you ever been to Prague?" And he says, "Oh, I've been to Prague, but he had never actually physically been there. But he had kind of, he, he meant it like as he kind of yes. got the whole vibe of, uh, right. from from the book. So I was kind of joking on that. It was a little too much, I think. You had to have seen that movie, Kicking and Screaming, <laughs> Noah Baumbach. It's a good movie." Anyway, about about college at the time. I, I kind of like those. Okay, anyway. Um, so in 1783, that's um, the time uh, our, our pal Mozart is really starting to uh, make, uh, make his uh, way in uh, Vienna and uh, compose all of his uh, most famous and mature works. Okay. Um, at that time, Paul Ranitsky became music director to Count Johann Baptiste Esterhaza of Galanta, who was a distant relative to Haydn's employer. He's another Esterhaza. Uh, he was um, the um, Count, was a talented amateur oboist uh, and a Freemason as well, which was common among the nobility at the time. Uh, Ranitsky also was a Freemason. He joined the Viennese Masonic Lodge Zurgekrönten Hoffnung at um, the Count's urging. Um, he also helped Haydn to get into a, a Masonic Lodge. They, would, they wouldn't take him. Who knows why? <laughs> I mean, Haydn was one of the... He was older than, I think, Ranitsky and uh, certainly older than Mozart. But... Um, we, I don't have Ranitsky's years here. Okay. Uh, the oboe works here almost certainly because of his early patron, Count, patron Count Esterhaza. Okay. So the first um, the first work is a concerto for oboe and orchestra in G major. And I want to just say, just in the beginning, you're going to probably be hearing this right at the beginning of spring. And this is the album you want to be listening to because it's just sunny and 
cheerful and in major keys and it's it it really just kind of just have this kind of spring like uh optimistic quality mm. to it in these uh all of these uh works um the concerto for oboe and orchestra in g major um, which is tracks one two, through three on the album, uh, survives as a set of parts in the music collection of the Moravian Brethren of Zeist, the Netherlands. This oboe concerto shares many characteristics with Ranitsky's early violin concertos of the 1780s, which uh, neither of us is familiar with, so that, uh, that doesn't <laughs> help much. Mm. Anyway, this starts uh, Allegro Moderato, first movement, and um, let's see... Uh, Daniel describes this as a gallant principal theme and interchanges between the violins prepare the ground for the entrance of the soloist. The solo part is more lyrical than virtuosic and the passage works often revolve around quick scalar passages. I think I have an extra word there. Hmm. There's no cadenza in the first movement, which is characteristic of Ranitsky's concerti and rather unusual, hmm. in fact. Okay, so I said this... this uh, Movement. This piece has a nice, elegant liveliness to it, and uh, Marek Stilitz, the conductor, has certainly gotten a handle on this music. It's just flowing really nicely. Um, I believe that's a harpsichord chiming away in the background at the beginning of the very simple second theme, and I really love the sound of it. Um, well captured, sort of in the background. Uh, the oboe is lyrical and melodic as promised, and Viverka has a really gorgeous tone. This, that's one of the real attractions of this album, is hearing his, uh, his tone and his playing. Yeah, nice it's tone, kinda, in, and I really yeah. like his uh, varied articulation. Uh, that was one thing that came out to me as I followed the score. You know, the score is you know, just, uh, the note values are uh, there, but uh, his choice of you know, which notes to articulate and staccato, legato are yeah. just flowing uh, really nicely. And um, the other thing on this whole recording, which is different from what we've heard with the orchestral works, which are, you know, big and, you know, full yeah, they instrumentation. Get into some, some dark tonal areas. These works really don't. Yeah. Or if they do, they come out of them pretty quickly. So this gave me a new appreciation for how good uh, Ranitsky was with, you know, writing great melodies uh, because they come out in the solo lines and they seem to be endless, you know, and here it's mainly these happy themes because uh, we're dealing mostly in all these major uh, you know, type yeah, of passages. And we're also dealing with the oboe. We remember um, the Pederus Vasque's yeah, um, oboe concerto that we did. kind of uh, and he, things. Yeah, yeah, he called it, a, he said he can't shake the pastoral image and he wrote a pastoral concerto yeah. for it. That seems to be the case with Ranitsky too. I think it's just associated with uh, with that. And it really is uh, mm. up uplifting for this is a very uplifting album yeah. all the way through um so Feferka's tone had i said it has a liquid flowing quality to it um the accompaniment has good energy um in fact it seems to pick up um after the soloist phrases in order to complement him so once the soloist comes in and then we hear the accompaniment come back they seem like they've kind of been injected with some new life i think he mm. kind of really lifted them up i'm also paying special attention to uh the light accompaniment as the oboist plays it's all elegantly taken a very classy orchestration for Ranitsky in those passages uh the movement has the form and sound of a classical era work so you can think haydn and mozart it sounds a lot like that uh, musically speaking elegance was never done better than it was in that era and this movement is a prime example of that sense of elegance. It's just, I think, elegance when I hear mm. this. Second movement, Adagio. 
so the slow traditional slow movement. Only strings support the oboe in this movement. Um, the embellishments are increasingly florid. This is Daniel's notes now. Um, there's a cadenza before the end. Um, Feferka's tone and lyricism really shine in this movement. I think this is me now. The rhythmic pattern remains the same, but the accents suddenly change underneath the solo. And I thought this was really cool. Like as the soloist is playing, you have like one chan chan chan, one chan chan chan, then you have one chan dan. It, it changed. It keeps kind of changing its kind of profile. It was really, it was really nice. I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. I really like it when. You have the soloist playing, but then there's all these like little kind of winks sort of coming from the orchestra, you know, because of the orchestration, not because anything's mm. amiss or anything. A lot of ear candy in this movement. I liked it a lot. Yeah, nice cadenza too on here. On this yeah, one. nice cadenza as well, I should have mentioned. <laughs> cadenza in the second movement, huh? Boy. Okay, third movement, Rondo in 6-8, a hunting rhythm. Um, in fact, all of these um, works on this album are going to have rondo hunting type themes. Um, there are brief fermatas before the rondo theme returns, so you know when it's coming. A fermata, of course, is a, s- a slight pause. Okay, This particular movement's hunt is rather gallivanting and confident. Uh, the oboe has some quick flourishes to play, all taken very clearly, which, as we should expect from this soloist. He sounds great. Uh, there's an ex- it's an excellent clear recording as well. There's one section between themes where the material takes a dark turn into the minor, which is really ear-catching, because we really just haven't heard much minor in this work so far. Then a chirpy hunting theme returns, and we reach the end. Uh, the movement is taken at a lively pace, and the whole thing leaves one in high spirits. So we have a good um, opening to this disc. Okay. What I noticed on here, uh, a couple of interesting things. Uh, there's a couple of short cadenzas, uh, which are nice. But then I'm looking at the you know score and listening and notice, noting the wonderful ornamentation uh, that uh, is added by the oboist here. Uh, because, mm-hmm. of course, there are some trills and like a pagiatura things in the score. But there's a lot of added little tastes that I'm assuming are, you know, added and worked out with the soloist later. And then one thing that really stuck out to me, right at about four minutes as you're getting uh, mm-hmm. into the piece, uh, there's a series of these scales that go from D to D, uh, you know, so they're going up high. But, um, and that's how they're notated all in the score. But the final one, uh, he goes up to F sharp, so he goes up to the third of the chord, which <laughs> really surprises you because you know it, well, it if you're sticks. following the score, it does. <laughs> well, no, I noticed it when I was listening, uh, how it just seemed, you know, yeah, a little, a little extra lift, and I and then I, I went see. back and listened, and I noticed it's not in the score, um, but I thought that was uh, kind of uh, a nice little uplifting addition uh, by the oboist. Nice touch, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next, we have um, tracks four to seven, and then tracks eight to ten. Yeah, are both divertimenti. This was a pretty popular form in the classical era. Divertimento just means fun or something yeah. diverting or you know, entertaining, and, and entertainment. The interesting thing here is it said they're scored for optional horns, and I'm glad they're here. <laughs> they, they shouldn't be optional because they sound really good. You know. Yeah. Okay, so there are six divertimenti in this uh, set. We're going to hear two of them. Um, the first one for oboe, strings, and horns in D major. This is number six of the set, um, tracks four to seven. Um, 
this I'll give you Daniel explains uh, this was advertised for sale by the Viennese copyist Lorenz Lausch in 1788 okay so historically speaking we're getting towards the end of Mozart's life this is the year he wrote his last symphonies um, but it may have been composed earlier a set of parts survive in the so-called Kaisersammlung in Vienna the music collection of the Empress Marie Therese a major patron of Ranitsky uh, in all the works in this set, the oboe and violin takes turn take turns presenting the material. Uh, violas occasionally have solos. Um, the Allegro Moderato. This is a relaxed and lyrical movement, and I think one can almost say pastoral. Um, one gets whiffs of the countryside as the oboe is heard first. Um, as um, Daniel mentions, the viola, the violin has a big part in this. Um, but I'm not seeing is the is the player credited for this? Do we know who this is playing the violin solo? I, mm. I didn't see the name in the notes. Anyway, okay, it's an ideal relaxed pace uh, for the movement. I enjoyed the rather rustic sawing of the violins and the accompaniment on the two, three, four because it's one of those un chun 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 kind of rhythms. Uh, one, two, three, four, and uh, you, you hear like this kind of like sort of um, countryside violin kind of. Mm sound okay the oboe seems to have more presence in this performance because uh maybe because of its timbre is so identifiable the violin soloist first of all is you know it's it's a solo instrument that's out of the the string ensemble um it doesn't have the same presence it kind of sounds like uh, the violinist has stepped out of the string crowd to have a word with the oboist the way it's recorded um the the violin is kind of i mean it's noticeable because it's a right. solo part but it's kind of not as upfront as the oboe is. That said, though, the effect—it's not a bad effect, really. Um, but they don't sound like equals, is my point, um, mm. and I think they should be probably. But the horns peak in occasionally. The horns peak in occasionally to add punctuation and accents to phrases, uh, melting gorgeous melodies throughout an immediately appealing work. We get to the menuetto, second movement. Um, adds contrast, and um, Daniel calls this movement jolly. That's probably a good word for it. This is a lively menuet. They're usually not quite this bouncy. Um, it's got a trio with this kind in of it energy. too. Yeah. Uh, at the end, yeah. Right. Uh, it's immediately appealing again, like the first movement was, and uh, making you wonder how Ranitsky's music came to be forgotten for so long. Um, a lively trio section matches the energy of the surrounding menuet. Mm. Yeah. It's 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 there's a contrast, but it yeah. just goes in a different direction. But the energy is about the same. And I really love the warmth bounce that bounces out with the horn tones entered. Yeah, you know? it's just that that extra timbre in it gives it that fuller you know richness uh, and uh, makes it really pleasing. Yeah, and I noticed the violin has some. Um, it sounds like it has like some kind of reverb on it, like some kind of a room. Noise that the oboe doesn't have. Again, I just wanted that to be more upfront. Mm. Nevertheless, it's it can be heard, so that's not a problem. All right, next third movement, the romance. The theme is presented by the violas before taken over by the oboe and violin. Uh, this sort of matches the first movement in pastoral feeling, but it's got a more uh, romantic um, vibe. When I say romantic, I mean like being with a lover at sunset. Romantic. I don't mean like. Franz Liszt romantic, right? <laughs> okay, it's like you know, you and your honey together, romantic. Okay, uh, this movement I thought has a theatrical quality 
to it, as though some love scene is being played out on a stage. There's sort of a coming together and moving apart, like flirtatious sense to it. Hmm. Um, it feels very theatrical to me, and all ends well. Of course, this is the classical era after all. This one has uh, yeah. some nice uh, pizzicato counterlines in it, too, that I uh, Yeah, enjoyed. that happens in a few of these works, yeah. actually. They're, yeah. they're nice. Uh, fourth movement presto, optimistic tune in the violin, opens this rondo form finale. And the good mood prevails until the end, according to Daniel. And I think this also has a hunting feel to it. It has a quick 6-8 yeah. rhythm with the triplets accented. You can hear them. This is a real earworm. I can still hear it. I listened to this you know, earlier today. That's really, you know, sticks in your in your brain as a great little melody hook. Yeah. The thing that gave me the feeling of the hunt again, too, is also the oboe soloist because he he plays with this carefree mm. joy at being on a horse outdoors feeling, mm. you know? Yeah. All right. So it's, it's just all, all sunniness so far. It's kind of a good start to the spring. Um, tracks eight to 10, divertimento for oboe strings and horns. Number four in G major. Okay. So this is the fourth of the set of six. Um, the Allegro is breezy and also carefree. Um, I'm listening to this, by the way, as the weather warms up and spring is establishing itself in Japan. But, of course, um, that means I didn't listen to it yesterday when it rained all day and it was really <laughs> cold. So I heard it earlier in the week. Um, it was really a perfect. I was in such a good place and I heard this and it was just really ideal. Um, the contrast in this movement is very slight. All contrasting themes keep up the effervescent mood. There's something a little darker at around uh, 4 minutes and 30 seconds, but it's quickly climbed out of, almost magically, in fact. It's almost, it's almost like somebody like snaps their fingers and suddenly we're mm. back in the major key again. Um, you hear the darkness quickly evaporate as the oboe plays, like kind of like the darkness is sort of like a puddle, and the bright sun just sort of dries it up immediately. Um, no puddles are going to survive in the sunshine of this movement, that's for sure. Okay, second move in Adagio. This is a three-movement work, by the way. Oboe and violin solo lines over a pizzicato accompaniment create an airy and tranquil atmosphere. Those are Daniel's notes. And I, I this is where I picked out the pizzicati in the lower strings and the accompaniment. I really loved the way it sounded here. After mm. the oboe introduces the theme, we get to hear the harpsichord make a transition to the violin's theme. Also a nice touch. Very pretty. I did enjoy the violin's slower theme and the oboe's duet with it at around a minute and 20 seconds. It's lovely the way you know, the, Renitsky... Go ahead. No, the interplay there is great. Uh, and then they get the layered horn lines on top of that. And yeah, very nice. Yeah. It's nice the way Renitsky will introduce the second soloist midway through the solo line of the first on occasion, always providing pleasant surprises. And then later on, like the oboe will play the full theme and then the mm. violin will answer. But sometimes they'll sort of like uh, complete each other's sentences, as it were, They're each other's musical sentences. A lot of variety, really clever writing. Third movement, Allegretto. This is a calmer contradance-like theme, which frames busier contrasting sections with solos for the oboe, violin, and first viola, as Daniel says in the notes. Uh, this one sounds old-fashioned. I guess the contradance is what mm. Daniel called it. Uh, compared to the other two movements, um, I think the contradance was on its way out by this period. I mean, they were still doing it, but it was sort of um, hmm. starting to fall out of favor. I think the courts were disappearing. It's pleasant with an elegant bounce to it. So whenever I hear something like this, I think that he must have been in a situation, Reniski, where um, there were court right. people around, which I guess they would have been if 
if he was mm. working for an Esterhazy. One little thing in this movement that caught my ear, right? It's about two minutes and eight or nine seconds. The, the oboe line is, uh, I think it's on half notes, but the, he's, it's on an A, and then it goes to uh, B flat, and then back to A and B flat. So it's this, um, you know, half semitone going uh, up that really is different from any of the other movement uh, before. Yeah. And it's, so I guess, I guess it's alternating between like D major, G minor. So it's just this uh, little alternating major minor thing that creates a lot of tension before hmm. it's like wind, you know, pulling back uh, kind of a slingshot or something before it releases into the, you know, final part of the movement. So I thought it was a, like, a nice little device added there that stuck out from the rest of the composition. Yeah, also the Contra Dance theme is sort of the Rondo theme. This is another Rondo. Mm. And it's easy to identify when it comes back just because yeah. of its sort of um, old-fashioned quality, whereas the um, departures are all sort of more um, classical or modern for the period. Yep. Um, the last time we hear the theme, it comes back in double time, adding some excitement to the end of this movement and piece. I thought that was pretty nice too. All right, then we end this album with tracks 11 and 12, a two-movement, Sinfonia Concertante, for flute and oboe in C major, opus 39. Now, when you have a name like a Sinfonia Concertante, uh, that means that the flute and oboe are equal partners here. And this, uh, we have uh, on the flute, Sylvie Schellingerova, on the flute, um, along with um, Viverka on the oboe. Um, this one... Uh, also, let's see. What did I say about this? All right, let's get Daniel's notes first. This was published by Ranitsky's main publisher, Johann Andre of Offenbach, in 1801, but was likely written considerably earlier. Two years prior to this date, it was listed together with a now-lost contratante for oboe and cello. Among the compositions by Ranitsky offered by the music copyist, Johann Traeg in Vienna. All right. The first uh, movement, Allegro, has this um, grand orchestral opening. And, and then the soloists enter together, then take turns elaborating the melodic line. Uh, exchange. This is Daniel talking now. Exchanges become more frequent and phrases shorter as tensions briefly build. The opening theme sweeps away all differences between the two soloists and the movement finishes amicably. So it's kind of nice. He'll sort of give you this sort of snapshot of what's going to happen in the movement. And then when you listen to it, you can mm -hmm. kind of hear how it plays out. Um, the opening of this uh, has a, the opening of a classical opera feel to it. It really sounds like we're going to, yeah, it's, it almost kind of has an overture type quality to it. Um, I get the feeling I'm going to hear singing and in a way we are. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, this was a, Opera was a very popular um, uh, form of entertainment at the time. The orchestra introduces both themes without the soloist. It goes on for quite a while. The flute comes in first with an athletically played line. Uh, this soloist has presence. The oboe responds, and I have to say, this time, Feferka is more distance than the mix than the flautist, which I found odd since he was up front for the, the first three works. So he's kind of, he, he's sort of the one in sort of in the back. Um, the oboe's tone makes it easy to pull out of the crowd, though, because it's mm. it's very easy to to hear. Um, they play beautifully together, though. I do like the cheerful accompaniment urging the soloists on. Uh, the second time we hear the soloists at uh, four minutes and twenty seconds, the entrances are reversed with the oboe coming first. Uh, there's some nice echoing of each other's lines in this part. 
upbeat ending. I really like hearing this. Um, this this kind of reminds me this this whole like trading lines. Um, I used to have uh, I once did this with a girlfriend that we would sort of kind of compliment each other without you know when we were with people without kind of like uh, any pause like it was a musical line. And I'd say, well, you know, I'm going out with her because she's, you know, she's so she's so smart. And then she'll say to me, oh, but he's so intelligent. I was like, oh, but she's so, you know, well-dressed. No, he's so, you know, we just keep doing this and uh, totally nauseate everyone, of course. But, you guess, know, we were I guess you ran out of compliments and thus the relationship well, now that was I'm over. A, well, now that I'm middle-aged, I can't think of anything nice to say about anyone, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's just a memory now and that's why I enjoy music like this because it's a nice memory of uh, when I thought when I actually liked people <laughs> anyway, I really on. on this yeah. one I thought yeah the interplay is what makes this one so nice uh, these handed off lines and mm -hmm. I especially liked the uh, triplet variation uh, interchange on there I mm -hmm. thought that was you know uh, really cool and uh yeah, there's some uh, tricky lines in here, but uh, you know, not only technically but also uh, artistically well phrased, and uh, it's a little musical relay uh, with no misses at all. It sounds really nice. Right, I like the interplay. It kind of reminds me of uh, it, it's nostalgic for me. It reminds me of when I was a good person when you were young. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, and that too. Yeah. yeah, now that I'm now that I'm middle aged and bitter. <laughs> Except when I'm talking about music, I I can uh, get back and just remember how wonderful right. that was. Anyway, and how wonderful the uh, 18th century must have been for if you liked music. Anyway, second movement and last movement, moderato. This is a rondo again. This is a uh, Daniel's notes. It continues the playful exchange between the soloists, brief and uncomplicated with graceful simplicity and sunny charm. And sunny really is the word I would use for this entire album. Really. Mm. This has a skipping 6-8 rhythm, and if you can believe it, even sunnier and breezier than the first movement. The oboe sounds more present in this movement, uh, more evenly matched with the flute, and uh, there's a ponderous rhetorical moment at uh, 3 minutes and 31 seconds, which is quickly swept away by the dancing accompaniment. The soloists join in the thematic merriment, and we end on as positive a note as is imaginable. So this is really an ideal record for the beginning of spring, uh, the music matches its gentle breezes. Uh, the entire record was sunny and uncomplicated. Um, now, that's not to say Rudnitsky's music is uncomplicated. I think the symphonies went into some uh, more intellectual territory. But these seem to be written for the enjoyment of the uh, of the audience and just make them feel good. Um, this is a high recommendation if you're looking for something to lift you up. Um, I hope I hope you can get it. It's certainly available on streaming services. Um but uh, highly, highly recommended. I really enjoyed this a lot. Yeah, it's easy to listen to just because the melodies are so wonderful and uh, varied and creative, and they stick in your ear. Uh, they're all positive and upbeat. Uh, there's a few, you know, little minor passages that get navigated through, but then you're generally on to a lot more happy-sounding, wonderful major melodies, lots of energetic rhythmic uh, variations uh, different meters there's a lot of six eight has that kind of hunt uh chasing beat and then the ensembles a lot of hunting on this record yeah the ensemble sounds tight and nimble uh and merrick's got the 
tempo is really locked in. Uh, it never sounds too fast, but everything sounds charged with you know uh, nice. It's got energy now, yeah, positive mm-hmm. energy. And uh, despite you know, like you're saying, there's a few uh, maybe places where the acoustic balance uh, something might not be you know standing out as much as you think. Overall, the sound quality is very nice. Uh, it, good, yeah, it is. In fact, the good acoustics is generally clear. really well recorded. And uh, yeah, so it's nice to hear this. Uh, uh, solo uh, compositions uh, from Renitsky. And uh, like I said, the oboe uh, soloist here has a wonderful tone and uh, it's really nice to listen to. So definitely add this to your Renitsky list. And thanks for the CDs, Daniel. This is going to go right next to volumes one, two, and three on my CD shelf. See, see, on my CD shelf, it's going to go in the 2022 section. So, oh, okay. But it'll be next to the, any other Renitsky uh, albums that come out in 2022 because I have so many CDs that I can't just put them in the middle of a shelf, so I've decided to just kind of have a different section for every year now. Okay. Because I'm insane. Oh, I do want to mention that despite all the um, the hunting movements, no animals were harmed in the making of this recording. <laughs> I think I ate a few while I was listening to it, but... <laughs> There is that. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, anyway, All check right. it out. Uh, works for Oboe, Paul Renitsky, uh, the Renitsky Capel, directed by Merrick Stillitz, and it is, again, on the Arco Diva label. And I'll put yeah. the Renitsky Project page where you can find out more about Daniel's work making this music be realized uh, in the description. I wonder if that's their own label. I guess now that I've asked, I'm going to have an email <laughs> <laughs> Daniel's great in that he writes to us all the time. Yes. Unlike our other listeners, listeners, please write to us. We'd like to hear from you. I should say, uh, at this point, yeah. I could say for jazz, but uh, last week um, we featured... Hmm. Uh, That's right. Uh, yeah, Peter Garifuss's debut album, The Fine Hungarian Pianist. Uh, Actually, maybe you should say this in the jazz section, just because I think people... Yeah. Who, I, the reason we structure this program like this classical and then jazz is just instead of doing classical jazz, classical jazz, is that we think there are going to be people who are, are only going to want to listen to the jazz section and people who are only going to want to listen to the classical section. So we kind of separate them. Yeah. But yeah, Maybe we did I'll hear from it. Peter Giarfas. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll talk more about you. later. Um, because it was a debut he, he recording. He wrote to us in other ways, yeah. And I've got a really great new debut recording another one this week uh so oh, yeah. looking forward to that i, so. I and i know which one it yeah. is because <laughs> i i kind of it kind of picked up my ear too yeah all right anyway going on with the uh the classical section um the next album is um an album called america and the uh, violinist on this is uh daniel hope uh on the violin and this features the zürcher kammer orchestra and also the Marcus Roberts Trio, and uh, it's uh, released by Deutsche Grammophon Records. Um, so Daniel Hope, it, it, he's... Okay, let me tell you a little bit, bit about him. He was born in Durban, South Africa. Mm. He's of Irish and German-Jewish descent. His maternal grandparents lived in Berlin and escaped Nazism. His father is the novelist Christopher Hope. And his mother, Eleanor Hope, worked as assistant to Yehudi Menuhin. Wow. <laughs> this, this is quite a family to grow up in. Yes. 
Due to his father's anti-apartheid views, the family moved to London, where Hope was when Hope was six months old. So he's, for for all um, purposes, I guess you could say he's British. Oh, he was also the violinist of the Beaux Arts Trio in 2002. He replaced um, whoever was in there before. The Beaux Arts Trio were were a longstanding. Uh, a trio who had gone on for years and years. His decision to leave um, in 2008 ended the trio. Um, I guess they weren't going to get anyone like him. Hope has put together various themed classical albums like this one. There's one on the Belle Epoque. There's one on Baroque music. And one on a program where the violins he played were owned by Jewish mus- musicians before and during the Holocaust. Um, and if you want to hear that one, it's called Violins of Hope. Um, also on Deutsche Grammophon. Uh, but this one deals with America, and uh, it's really American popular song, but really sort of American jazzy song, the American songbook and that era. Um, and he, this is quite a program. He uh, like, goes through quite saying, a lot of music. It's like a, a picnic basket that's jammed full of like every American taste from a, yeah, well, a certain period that you could yeah, want. And a few shoe- surprises too. Yeah, shoehorned onto a single CD that's like, uh, 82 minutes long. Yeah. Remember when CDs had to be 74 minutes? Now they can they can yeah. write on the edges of them or something and get up to like 83 or 84 minutes on them. Yeah, I mean, this has got what? Gershwin, Bernstein, uh, Copeland, uh, yeah. Ellington. Yeah, it's not all jazz, but it's it's mostly, no. I think of it as a jazzy album, mostly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How do you get all of these ideas on one disc? It's pretty amazing, the programming. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, let's go through this. It's also got a variety of approaches uh, to the music as well. Okay. Tracks one to five. Um, George Gershwin, one of the great uh, songwriters of all time. Um, We have um, Gershwin's Song Suite for Violin, Jazz Trio, and String Orchestra. And um, the Jazz Trio is the Marcus Roberts Trio. Mm -hmm. Uh, Marcus Roberts is a jazz pianist. He's from New Orleans. Or at least he studied in New Orleans. Um, he's uh, and he's he's a seasoned jazz player from the. I think he studied with Ellis Marsalis, if I recall correctly. I didn't look this up beforehand. And this um, also features the Zürcher Kammer Orchestra. All right, so the string arrangements by the Zürcher Kammer Orchestra are by Paul Bateman, and the Marcus Roberts and J Master Music did the arra- the jazz arrangements. So this is quite a and everything in the kitchen sink approach to these um, five uh, tracks. Okay, they're, they're all fame. They're all popular Gershwin songs. The first one, "Fascinating Rhythm," uh, from the uh, musical "Lady Be Good." Um, Hope gives us a nice dancey rhythm, and I really enjoyed the classy piano accompaniment from Marcus Roberts on this, as well as his glittering solo. But I wasn't too crazy about the string arrangement. In fact, this this is a good album, but the strings kind of got to me. I think they brought back memories of Mantovani when I was from when I was a kid. Even though I it didn't really sound like that, but it just kind of put it in my head. Uh, the strings are pretty discreet, but it was um it was too much. There was a the the, the drummer in the Marcus Roberts trio is hitting the ride cymbal on the drums, and you're hearing the strings at the same time. It felt like it was a little too much. I would have liked to hear only the trio. I don't see why he didn't just uh, uh, add himself to the trio on this. I don't know. I kind of, I didn't, mm. I was imagining if this were played on a larger orchestra and that yeah. I would, so With I, actually, colors, I actually wrote that I kind of enjoyed the lightness of the chamber group 
here and throughout the album. And that's what made made it possible for me to listen to everything in like one setting, uh, even though, you know, it's 80 minutes. I never felt like the weight of the, yeah. the ensemble sound sort of tired me out. So I felt the string orchestration and just the size of the group was kind of sparse and uh, yeah, and that, light. That was at least. Uh, so I could float along through it, yeah. Yeah, the Montabani comment that I made doesn't really uh, hold water, but it just kind of, I still thought <laughs> back to that when I heard it. That's the that's mm. the thing. Um, another thing about these five tracks, and especially, well, not necessarily especially this one, but I really think Marcus Roberts uh, steals the show with his solo. He's just so good and has a genuine jazz pedigree, whereas Daniel Hope has this really kind of nougat-y sweet sound, sort of yeah. a little bit like uh, James Ennis if you remember what he sounded mm. like. Um, so, and he, so it's a very, he has a very appealing, sweet sound and he's got a good jazz rhythm. He's, he's got at least a, the sense of timing with some, a lot of, uh, classical musicians when they play jazz, they won't leave much space. I mean, Daniel Hope will, but then when you hear like Marcus Roberts come in, you can just kind of hear, oh, this guy's like a real jazz player, you know, because mm. he's got that real sense of swing. That, that Hope kind of has a little bit, but not quite to the same extent. Um, the piece has a good swing feel to it in general, which you would expect from the Marcus Roberts trio being on it. Yeah, the trio keeps it swinging. Uh, yeah, they're fantastic yeah, so. through these five tracks, by the way. The second track is Summertime from Porgy and Bess, a very famous tune. Um, nice transition, by the way, into this. Uh, these are all sort of linked mm. by some sort of... Uh, improv or prearranged um linking music uh the trio gives the rhythm a cha-cha rhythm which is a little unique um a cha-cha like rhythm oh, yeah, not thought... cha-cha no it's a cha-cha cha-cha you know kind of like that yeah, yeah. not not a cha-cha sorry <laughs> it just i made this <laughs> i'm just i just broke that down verbalized as the, it, verbalized yeah sorry it's uh okay and the violin silkily plays over that and once again, though, Robert steals, Robert steals the show with his bluesy left-hand piano and riveting solo in the right hand. He just changes the whole feel by himself and, and just sounds great. Um, the drums follow his left-hand rhythm, giving it a good accent. And, uh, you know, Hope is good, but he's just not a, he doesn't have that same kind of quality in this music that Roberts does. Um, I could have done without the strings in this too. I'm gonna, uh, you know, I'm gonna leave my. <laughs> you wanted about it to be a jazz beyond. album. <laughs> I, I did when I was hearing Marcus Roberts. I really wanted it to be a jazz album, to be honest. Okay, next is "Wonderful" from the musical "Funny Face." I wouldn't mind seeing some of these musicals. One or two of them yeah. have been revived. They're kind of lightweight, and they have a lot of jokes about, uh, um, uh, what do you call it when you couldn't drink? <laughs> what was that you're called? Prohibition. Prohibition, right. I was thinking abolition. No, prohibition. <laughs> prohibition. Okay. Again, I liked Marcus Roberts' solo transition into this piece. Um, it it starts a little unusually because this is like a really upbeat tune and it kind of starts um, sort of slowly and a little surprise. Um, the violin plays the intro slowly and the strings add a bit of period class in this one, I thought. Um, I find them distracting as we already know but you necessarily you won't necessarily um because i think they're adding warmth where there's already warmth um f at around one o'clock one o'clock at around one minute the one minute mark we get the famous upbeat melody it's wonderful mm -hmm. dun, dun, uh. robert shines again with some adventurous scalar work followed by another classy solo 
and the drums swing pretty hard. Next, one of my favorite Gershwin tunes, The Man I Love from Strike Up the Band. No segue. There's a there's a pause between these two. Um, the string orchestra start this piece. This is a really long track at uh, 8 minutes and 30 seconds. It's usually just a three or four minute song. Mm. The drums play with brushes and add some old-timey feel to this track. Hope takes most of the thematic material. He's got a sweet nougaty tone, as I mentioned. Every time Roberts comes in, however, his jazz credentials stand out. His feel is so authentic that he practically turns the tracks into a jazz track. And I wanted to go off with him, really. He takes another eloquent solo here. The bass and drums play in an old bluesy style, almost Muddy Waters-like. In fact, Roberts turns his solo into a blues, which is kind of interesting for this tune. It doesn't really sound like a bluesy tune when it's sung. Hope goes for something more... I said schmaltzy because he's really more in line with the strings, I feel here, in comparison. Uh, and the strings highlight that. He has a good feel, uh, Hope, but again, Roberts is really the the one who's drawing my ear. Finally, the track we always hear from Gershwin, I Got Rhythm from the uh, musical Girl Crazy. A quick bass starts this out. The piano sets the feel as the violin plays the famous rhythm. Uh, this is given like a swing dance rhythm. You really feel like you could you could imagine people like dancing to this mm. in the 1920s. There's something about all this that has the classical approach to jazz feel to it, like it's looking at jazz through a glass window from the outside. Uh, the bass takes a good solo in this, very lively, with a spray of ride cymbal accompanying, along with uh, lightly brush-struck drums. The drums get a solo next. Uh, the drummer goes for something groove-oriented, but not swing. Um, it's a bit of a change from the flapper-style rhythm that we got at the beginning. Flappers were the... Yeah, the <laughs> all those dances they did in the 1920s. Yeah. Check out YouTube if you don't know what I'm talking about. We jump right into that with Robert's solo, and you already know what I'm going to say about it. It's great. It's sad that he takes his leave of us after this track. There's no more Robert, Marcus Roberts on this album. I would have listened to him all the way through, really creative with his iterations of the melody. All right, so the Gershwin tunes are over, and then we get a Sam Cooke tune. Um, a change is going to come. Yeah, who knew really that Sam Cooke would be on Deutsche Grammophon? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Anyway, this is also arranged by Paul Bateman for a voice, violin, and piano. And the vocalist here is Joy Denelaine. Um, and Sylvia Teresa is playing the piano on this piece. Uh, Denelaine sings this song soulfully and exceptionally well. Um, I was drawn in by her voice. I feel like Ho Hope's presence here is obtrusive. Again, I wanted to listen to... He, he's got really good partners on this album, but they're, they sort of outshine him in this idiom. Hmm. I I wanted to hear Joy Denelaine here, but and we do. But you know, then Hope is playing during this. Um, it's his album, but when there's a singer, you want to hear the singer, you know. So I yeah, know. I'm glad he put it on. Next, we get Leonard Bernstein, West Side Story Suite for violin and string orchestra. Boy, this music just never gets old. There's even a new movie now, the uh, Steven Spielberg West Side Story, uh, which I haven't seen but I'm guessing all the songs are in it. Hmm. I wonder what this they've is, changed. Oh, I don't know. I hope, the, I hope the songs are all there. I hope so, yeah. That's really what matters. Anyway, the Zürcher Kammer Orchestra are the only accompanists here. So this is the first time on this album we're hearing Daniel Hope um, with the orchestra, the string orchestra. 
chamber orchestra, actually. Um, the first track is America, which uh, Anita sings with her um, her uh, Puerto Rican f- girlfriends, I guess. And I think Maria is in this one, this track too. Um, and this is in the musical. So this is pretty good. Um, Hope doesn't vary his tone much. He really relies on that uh, beautiful sound that he gets. Um, this doesn't really have much electricity to it, but it puts the work across well. I think the vocals kind of really move, put this through the roof. Um, track two, Maria, the most, one of the most famous songs of the 20th century, at least in America. And I thought this um, interpretation was schmaltzy. Hope uh, pours the syrup on this famous melody. His <laughs> <laughs> sweet nougaty tone are good for it, but I think it's too much with the other strings. Uh, next is Tonight. This is a duet between Tony and Maria. See, I was in this play in high school, so that's why I know oh. all these things. Well, what part did you play? I was, I think, shark number three. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I got to dance. I didn't oh. have to sing, though, so that was cool. Anyway, this is a little better tonight uh, with the orchestra growing wistful as the violin articulates the melody in a straightforward way. By the way, when I said I was in this musical in high school, I did—I don't mean I was like in a Broadway production of it. I mean I was in the high school musical that my high school did of it. Okay, let's, let's not get too excited over there. Yeah, now I go was home and make, three. make your costume, put on your bandana. <laughs> I did wear a yeah. bandana. I am See? <laughs> sorry to say, I, I had the right vision in my head. You really did. Leather jacket, just think yeah. of the whole thing. Okay. Um. Daniel Hope likes showing off his tone when he goes for the high notes, and he get, we get some here, but he plays uh, mostly in his lower range. Okay, uh, track 10. This is number four in the suite, Somewhere, the beautiful um, mm. um, uh, duet between a, a jet. I think this is Tony and Maria, actually. This is a duet. Um and then some of the jets and the sharks take it over. Uh, I did not sing on this one in the high school musical. Oh. No. Did they have New York accents when they sang it? Somewhere. 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Probably, but yeah, we didn't probably. notice it. You didn't time. notice it, yeah. It would have been authentic, though, because the story does take place in New York. Right. Somewhere. <laughs> that one's for you, Rich, my brother, okay? <laughs> All right. Uh, this is one of the more magical songs in West Side Story. You yeah, know, everybody thinks of Maria. It's so famous, but this is so beautiful. Mm. It's such a great tune. Hope, Hope takes. I wish I wrote this, man. Leonard Bernstein, huh? You know, mm. he's he's a they, that guy had way too much talent. He was a conductor. He's a great uh, classical composer, and then he wrote like uh, hit musicals as well. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, just these immortal songs. The, these are this this whole musical. It's really amazing. Um, Hope takes it with a nice this song somewhere with a nice dreamy quality at the low end of his instrument and climbs into the middle range then we have uh, track 11 A Boy Like That this is Anita sings this to Maria this kind of reminds me a little bit of um, My Man's Gone Now from Porgy and Bess it's sort of a similar sort of um, Hmm. foreboding sort of um, rhythm to it this is like menace from the string orchestra you need percussion for this to put this across though I think. Um, this is welcome after all these gorgeous, silkily played melodies that we've heard so far. Uh, Hope draws a fair amount of menace from his instrument at the low end, and he pretty much stays there. And then uh, Maria answers uh, Anita's, um, you know, 
you know, you're, you're dating a guy who killed your brother. <laughs> I, I got to say, I think I'd be a little uh, suspect of that, too, if that had happened. Um, <laughs> but she uh, she responds with, I have a love, which is track six. And uh, she appeals to Anita's, um, you know, having been in love, too. Something women understand that we men just don't. Anyway, the violin keeps to the low end to begin Maria's response to Anita's accusation and plays touchingly. I also like the string orchestra here for a change when it plays its gossamer delicate accompaniment. It's a nice arrangement. And I don't think this is by Paul Bateman. This might be like an original sort of um, by Bernstein. It doesn't mm. say Bateman's name on it, but I'm not sure. Um, the seventh part, this is track 13, is the famous Mambo at the... Uh, I guess the high school gym when the uh, mm. Jets and Sharks are kind of wherever they are doing this party is. Um, this rhythm doesn't really quite suit a string orchestra. Uh, they wind up playing these disconnected angular melodic lines to put across the mambo rhythm. I think it needs percussion. Man, uh, Hope mambo. is practically inaudible in this. Uh, he might not even be playing. I'm not really sure. Uh, he's playing at his higher end all the way through and blending in with the orchestra. Hmm. Okay, next we get a piece we've heard, I think, twice already. This is the third time uh, by Florence Price. And um, this is her adoration arranged for violin and string orchestra by Paul Bateman. We heard um, a violin and piano version mm. of this, which I think is the original. Um, this um, this features the Zürcher Kammer Orchestra with um, Kammer Orchestra with uh, Daniel Hope. Um, Hope gets a touching duskiness to his tone when he needs it, and it's very effective here. He's a very melodic player, and this is a work that suits his talents well. It's a really nice work. Um, I'm not sure if this is the best played version I've heard of it, or if uh, that I'm really starting to warm to it because I've heard it so many times now. Because I'm starting to, it's starting to get in my ear. Mm. It's it's a lovely work. Uh, give it a listen. Florence Price, Adoration. In one of its many versions. All right, next we go to Aaron Copeland, At the River, from Old American Songs, set two. <laughs> now, before I talk about this, <laughs> there's a, I think it's Old American Songs, set one, that oh, wait, has no, a tune in it. What? Set one comes first. There's a long time ago, right? Before At the River. Does he play that on this? Yeah. Really? No, At the River. He doesn't do long... Well, track 15 is at the river. They might actually do a little bit of long time ago in it, but I didn't notice. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, I just want to mention, in set one of Old American Songs, there's a tune called I Bought Me a Cat, <laughs> which, uh... <laughs> just, just listen to it, <laughs> okay? It's perhaps the most annoying song ever. <laughs> do, you, do you know this song? I've heard it, yeah. Yeah, it's not on this album, thankfully. But I've heard, um, it, it's kind of like the, yeah, now Copeland wrote it as sort of like the comic ending to the set. Right. But let's just say it hasn't aged well, okay? <laughs> it's got all these like animal sounds in it, like I bought me a cat, my pet, my cat pleased me, I fed my cat on yonder tree. And then it says, my cat says fiddle I fee, you know? And then he's making all these like animal sounds. And at the end of the song, he says, I bought me a wife. Ooh. <laughs> guess, guess guess what sound his wife makes? <laughs> she says, honey, honey. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Give it a listen, feminists. You'll love it. 
I guess that's why they didn't put that on this album. No, but I, I, bands yeah, I don't think now. we're going to hear it recorded for some time, but it's been recorded, you mm. know, like back in the day. It's, it's just some sort of an oldie, old-timey right, right. thing. I think that's what he intended it as, but just like as yeah. a memory of, of what American songs used to be like, because he mm. collected these, okay? This one, At the River, the, the, we're back to the album now. Honey? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> now I'm thinking of that song. It's so annoying. God. Anyway. At the River, it's um, an old hymn. Uh, Charles Ives set this as well. It's 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 really popular, mm. and um, I imagine it's still sung in Protestant uh, churches. It's a really beautiful tune. Uh, this is orchestrated by Paul Bateman, by the way. Um, I think Hope plays this too slowly and drawn out. I, I, or maybe I'm just thinking of the Charles Ives version, which is a little quicker. Um, the arrangement comes across as schmaltzy, where the strings come in. I like the second part of the melody, which I feel is done well by Hope. The strings are just too much, too much we're, strings. We're getting to use uh, that word Schmaltz. a lot on the podcast. It's a good one, right? Schmaltzy, yeah. Yeah, I don't, but I don't like schmaltzy. Some people do, no, though. It's, I, don't, it's, I don't want to like put I people mean, off of it. It's generally but... not, uh, you know, it's over, overly it's overdone, sweet yeah. tackiness uh, yeah. for any non-New Yorkers who haven't uh, heard schmaltzy. I don't know if schmaltzy is uh, widespread throughout the... English-speaking world, I don't know. Okay. Anyway, uh, track 16, Hoedown, from the ballet Rodeo, or Rodeo, as they pronounce it. It's Rodeo, but people pronounce it Rodeo because they're pretentious, pretentious, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You have to sound like you're... You have to sound like you're... going to the Rodeo this evening. (laughs) I know, exactly, right? Because because if you listen to classical music, you have to sound like a snob, right? I'm, this is this podcast is trying to do away with that yeah, image, okay? Go to We're calling down. it rodeo here, okay? Go to the hoedown. <laughs> I don't think there's a classy way to say no. hoedown. No, know. probably not. Yeah, this is well done by the orchestra. I like this. Um, I think we're hearing too much of the sound on the album, though. Um, I'm not sure if Hope is on this track. Um, I, unless he's just mixed in there, but I didn't really hear him standing mm. out. Anyway, track 17, Duke Ellington, Come Sunday, from uh, Black, Brown, and Beige, arranged for violin and string orchestra by Paul Bateman. Uh, <laughs> a name that's starting to make me shudder, because <laughs> I know there's going to be strings. <laughs> You're going to hear this right. again uh, on this program, just by chance, in a little snippet uh, later on. Oh, yeah. Okay, Zürcher Kammer Orchestra accompanying again. Hope stretches out this melody in a romantic era way. Um, th- th- this this time he's really going for schmaltz, I think. Because um, this was... Ellington never played it like this. The strings come in after a minute of solo violin has passed and has set a glimmering backdrop for the violin to play over. Actually, I li- did like the string arrangement on this one. So the solo violin plays alone for the first minute of this. Okay. Next, Kurt Weill. Oh, yes. Yeah, Kurt Weill, W-E-I-L-L, Kurt Weill, the German uh, immigrant to America, not the uh, the modern uh, guitar player, Kurt Weill, V-I-L-E. This <laughs> is a different guy. Okay. who Who's pretty good, by the way, although I don't know that I'd classify him as adult music. He's not kid stuff mm. either, but he's, he's college guy. He's yeah. college student stuff. I like him. But anyway, mm. this is the Kurt Weill, the songwriter from the mid-20th century. Actually, from the early 20th, early 20th century. century. Yeah, because yeah, he died in 1950. Lots of songs that became jazz standards. Yeah. Yes. Well, they're These great songs. Here. Yeah. Uh, four, rather. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, American Song Suite for Violin and Chamber Orchestra. Uh, this one features uh, the Zürcher Kammer Orchestra, again, with Yosho Stefan on guitar and Alexander Ponet on percussion. Yeah. Apologies if I didn't say those names right. The guitar is a nice addition at this point. I get a little yeah, extra exactly. addition to the instrumentation. Yeah, we needed the timbral sort of variety a bit by this point. This is an 80-minute album, remember? It's a long time. Okay, first we get September Song from the musical Knickerbocker Holiday. I really wouldn't mind seeing some of these again, because I've never seen them. They're just really old. Okay, the violin and guitar trade the melody back and forth in this track. Uh, I can't get past the schmaltz. <laughs> there's, a more, there's a more modest middle section to this piece. Okay? Great tune, though. I don't want to insult the tunes. They're really, I love all of these. this music. Just being American myself and just loving all those American songs. Um, yeah, so great to hear these melodies. Uh, track uh, two, track 19, My Ship from the musical Lady in the Dark. Uh, much like the pre previous track taken in a period style uh, schmaltzy way. I do like the addition of the guitar to these tracks. Three, Speak Low. This is a popular tune from the mm. musical One Touch of Venus. This is track 20. The segue to this piece is by the string orchestra. Uh, this has the 1920s dinner orchestra style. I imagine myself at a table with my with my honey, <laughs> you know, mm. listening to this giant orchestra play. Although this isn't a very big orchestra. With guitar adding arpeggio flourishes as the violin plays the melody. And you're not going to do a curtain violin melody without number four, Mac the Knife from the right. Three Penny Opera, one of the most famous jazz standards ever, ever since Ella Fitzgerald sang it. Um, and a lot of people do it now. Um, this is very nice. Chugging melody by the orchestra. The violin plays the familiar melody straightforwardly. The guitar, the guitar adds a few flourishes. I really liked this. The rhythm picks up and the melodic approaches vary in appealing ways as the piece goes on. And we end the program with Samuel A. Ward. Ever heard of him? Well, he wrote America the Beautiful, a tune everybody knows, um, at least everybody in the U.S. This is arranged for violin and chamber orchestra by Paul Bateman. He did all the arranging on this album. And features the Zürcher Kammer, Kammer Orchestra. I'm just pronouncing this worse every time. This has a dusky accompaniment um, by the orchestra as the violin understatedly plays the melody. This is more sweet than anything else. Uh, not the bombastic style we usually get with this tune. Um, this performance is touching. I liked it. It's a nice way to end the album. And Hope gets a touching, quiet tone at the end. So my conclusion for this is just great tunes all the way through. Um, I didn't think there was enough variety in the approach to hold my interest for the entire 82 minutes. It was a little too schmaltzy for me. Um, I could see listening to it again, though. I mean, I didn't dislike it. Um, I understand that Hope is and um, um, Bateman, the arranger, are going for a popular approach, but I would have preferred something more straightforward or jazzy, personally. Yeah, I really like the program. Uh, I, I, like I said, how can you pack much more uh, American music uh, that a classical orchestra can play, you know, the, this kind of pop, oriented music into one place. Uh, that's pretty impressive. Uh, I like the lightness of the orchestra. Uh, I liked Hope's playing. Uh, I think 
when you try I think to come, I think I'd like him better in more classical fare. Yeah, you know, I'd like to hear his Bella Park album. But when you combine uh, orchestra and jazz trio, sometimes you get, you know, a bit of a Frankenstein kind of result that's neither uh, of each world, or one overpowers the other. So, like you kind of feel like you know when the jazz trio is in here, you know, it, it sort of it pulls more towards the jazz side and makes you want to wish that uh, you were listening to you know the jazz version of something. Uh, I can see those kind of things going on. A few of the things uh, get a little schmaltzy, as we've said. But overall, I I liked the program and uh, the lightness of uh, the instrumentation. It just pulled me through it. And uh, you you can't get any richer in terms of these great... Uh, melodies uh, with uh, you know Gershwin, Bernstein, yeah. Copland, uh, all this stuff is great to hear. Uh, maybe it's too much all in one place. I don't know. I think it's worth a listen. And uh, yeah, uh, you realize it's, it's, how these great melodies formed the basis for so much of uh, American music. It's got schmaltz appeal. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a good episode title actually <laughs> we'll have to file that one away i don't think you know the only thing it's, it's missing is a stephen foster tune or something uh and then we yeah. can uh, well just yeah that would be really early even earlier yeah all right now we can't call this episode schmaltz appeal because of the next album <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> okay this is my uh, contemporary composer pick of the week no, i gotta tell you i made the mistake <laughs> of reading the album notes before I listened to this one, and I have to say it was false advertising. <laughs> anyway, you think so? You think so? Well, at least the expectations it created of what I was going to actually hear. But uh, actually, actually, this didn't sound like I expected it to either. Because okay, this is a, first of all we should mention Hans Abrahamsen, who's a Danish composer, uh, born in 1952, and it's his um, biggest orchestral work called Schnee, um, which means snow. And uh, it's was composed in 2006 to 2008. Um, it also features the, it well it features the Lapland Chamber Orchestra conducted by John Storgorge. That's what the A with the circle is an O like a O I guess. Storgorge. He's a Finnish conductor and a violinist. Okay, this is on the Da Capo label, which is a Danish label, and. It's an SACD, so you get that nice DSD uh, quality. I have to say, my um, current um, C- SACD player, it's really a Blu-ray player that has SACD in it, made by Sony, um, streams in DSD, and uh, I think it makes a difference. It's got a nice, luscious sound to it, so I got to hear this. Did these sound um, luscious? Luscious isn't the word, but they did sound very pre- <laughs> present, let's say, okay. present. present. All right. Okay. Um, I read the now. I was really eager to hear this because Abrahamson um, did a piece um, in around 2013 called. <laughs> I can't remember the name of the piece. Oh man, I got to look this up now. This is terrible. Um. Anyway, it it, it was a, it was a song cycle. Man, this is the worst. I, getting 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 middle aged is terrible. Anyway. I can't even find my link here for this. Oh, it's called Let Me Tell You. Okay, sorry. There was a song cycle that did Let Me Tell You that I thought was exceptionally beautiful. It was sung by Barbara Hannigan, um, and uh, you can get that on a CD. I would highly recommend hearing that. Uh, just stream it, Let Me Tell You, by uh, Hans Abrahamsen, sung by Barbara Hannigan. 
All right, but this is an orchestra work called Schnee, or Snow. And I wanted to get, I really kind of crammed this in here because I wanted to do it before spring started, but I guess we're just hitting it on the last day of winter when the snow is finally gone. All right. Then I read the notes. Oh, man, whenever you read about contemporary music, the way they describe it is sort of they're trying to describe some weird psychological state or something, <laughs> you know? This is what what he says, okay? The piece is basically about sensory experience of multidimensionality. Hmm. Uh, that means that if you if you... <laughs> You, you want to be in an altered state of consciousness when you hear it because it'll enhance oh, your experience. That's what I was <laughs> missing. Okay, maybe. All right. Well, I think uh, I think uh, some whiskey might have, would have done the trick though. And the changing sensations of direction, because snow kind of blows in the wind and it's directed all over the place. The music's weightless softness. Now, weightless is a good word for this music. It really mm. doesn't like land or make any kind of like impact. It does something else. It's not, which I'll try to describe at the end of this. Uh, it's not program music about snow, but a poetic performance, an esoteric symbol in white nuances. Oh, a very poetic description of what this is. And that's about as good a description as you're going to get because it's really hard to describe <laughs> what's happening in this music. Okay, now the work is 13 movements, and they're all canons except for three intermezzos. A canon. I don't mean like a, a, a military cannon, <laughs> you know, that shoots uh, cannonballs. I mean a, a cannon like row, row, row your boat. If you think about four voices singing row, row, row your boat, where one starts a measure later than the other, that's a cannon. Um, different than a fugue, which uh, which continues in a different way. Um, and Abrahamson was moved to write this work after studying Bach's short, intriguing canons, BWV 1072 to 1078. Abraham said when he was arranging Bach's canons, said he arranged them with the idea that they might be repeated again and again, and this way of hearing music opened an entirely new and inspiring world of time set in motion for him. We're just going to have to take him at his word because I really don't know what he's talking about, but <laughs> I guess it led to this work, okay? We can imagine that he arranged the canons to like continue the Bach canons without... Um, a pause, and he kind of gave him some sort of forever sort of uh, feeling, okay? Uh, depending on how you hear these canons, the music stands still, moving forwards or backwards. The proportions of the individual movements in Schnee um, advance according to a numerical system. Don't let this intimidate you. It's not math, okay? Uh, the duration of the five pairs of movements become gradually shorter. So the first two movements... Canon 1A and Canon 1B last around 9 minutes. Canons 2A and 2B last 7 minutes each, so it's 14 minutes total. Uh, canons 3A and 3B uh, are 5 minutes, and the fourth canons, uh, pair of canons is 3 minutes each, and the fifth uh, pair of canons is 1 minute each. So again, it's kind of weird. It just sort of ends on this very short set of movements. Um, and one interesting thing about this is you'll want to hear this in headphones or in a stereo or in surround, which would be great because it's an SACD. You can do that. The musicians sit in two groups on either side of a percussionist. Strings are on the left. Winds are to the right. See, the thing is, we, we're not supposed to like advocate altered states of consciousness, I guess, but uh, that would really help with this work. You'd get that... <laughs> 
Pink Floyd sort of, you know, strings in the left, winds in the right, kind of, you know, two different ears having different sounds in them kind of feeling. And there's a piano on each side, so there are two pianos. All right, I'm going to attempt to describe this work. 13 movements, uh, Canon 1A, labeled Ruhig aber beweglich, quiet but flexible. This is played only by the strings, the left side group. Uh, it starts with this ticking rhythm, which is barely audible. This Most of this movement is at the threshold of uh, hearing. Um, you can hear the room noise <laughs> more, <laughs> more than you can hear the music. There are squeaking sounds on a string, the piano playing perhaps its highest note or key at the highest end. I don't know how the piano gets that sound. It gets like a plinking sound, but it doesn't. it's not really sounding a note. It just kind of sounds like the wooden part of the the wooden stick that holds the hammer hitting the string and there's no sound. It's got a gentle crystalline quality that brings snow to mind. Um, also, the title kind of helps with that. The volume gradually becomes louder for a moment, then fades back to the threshold of audibility. At about the 3 minute and 15 second mark, we get a harsh, squeaky sawing on the strings as the piano pounds away at its high notes. But it's not loud because it's in the high end of its range. I actually like the harsh timbre the violins get here. They're not loud enough to be grating, though they're making a grating sound. There's silence at 5 minutes and 15 seconds, and we seem to return to the beginning material with the very quiet, woody tapping on the piano, as well as very high notes quietly played. The beginning and the end of the piece are so quiet that it feels like uh, the music is being heard over a great outdoor distance. And I guess a snowy one, too, so sound wouldn't would be muffled. It wouldn't travel very well. Canon 1B, sort of the partner for Canon 1A, is labeled fast, immersart und stille, almost always tender and still. This is a different version of the music in Canon 1A. It's similar. It has more layers and open spaces and is rather like an extended double variation in a Baroque suite. Um, Abrahamson himself describes it as a painting in two versions with different colors. So you can think of it like that if you like. This one, this movement is played by both groups, so we're hearing both sides of the orchestra here. And the, uh, per the percussionist is heard for the first time, but when you think percussion, you might be thinking like tam-tams or drums or, you know, kettle drums or whatever. Um, he's um, only pushing a sheet of paper back and forth on the table or, or on a <laughs> drum head or something. It's very, very subtle. But it's intriguing. It really drew my ear in. Uh, we get some immediate change of timbre here with the percussion played along with the repeating piano note. It's actually very similar to the first movement, but with different timbres added, which I already said. I should mention, um, by the way, I'm, these are all canons, as I said, but I'm not following the canonic material. I'm assuming it's there. Um, the middle, because they're called canons after all. Um, there are a lot of repeated notes, and if that's going to be part of the canon, it's going to be hard to follow because you don't know when it ends and things like that. Mm. The middle section is the loudest yet, still not in the booming category, but all of the timbres can be clearly heard in this very clear recording. This is, this is actually very well recorded, I should mention. Now, the piece quiets down again, but the material doesn't repeat. A slow flute melody begins the next canonic section. There's another pause, and the familiar material we heard at the beginning returns. I want to mention, in the middle of these canons, there are long pauses as though the material sort of, the orchestra sort of regroups and starts off on some other excursion. So 
if you hear pauses, it doesn't mean that that movement is over. Okay, we get to the second pair of cannons. First, Cannon 2A. Lustig spielend, aber nicht so lustig, immer ein bisschen melancholisch. Funny. Lustig is like merry, like Lustiger Witwe, the merry widow, I think. So happy, merry playing, but not too merry. Always a bit melancholic. Yeah, I guess they achieved that here. This begins with the woodwind of group two, exploring a minimalist motif in dense and rapid turmoil. This is from the booklet notes. Accompanied by the piano, which has been prepared with paper. It reminds one of walking against the wind and swirling snow without being able to find the way. Okay, the opening has a sort of playful march quality to it, sort of like a children's march, and I guess that's the lustiger um, direction. It sounds like it's actually in a quick 3-4, uh, but the first beat comes so fast that it sounds march-like. If you think of the second movement, Scherzo of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, dun da 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 that's 3-4, but it's so fast that you're hearing the dun-dun-dun-dun, you know, more in a more defined way than you hear the, the really fast triplets. Um, it's also very quiet near the threshold of audibility. Um, there's a lot of that here. Um, there are very, there are, again, snowy days are very quiet days. So I guess that's, um, uh, in keeping with the, um, quality of that type of, um, weather. There are a few pauses. Then the cannon starts up again. Um, it goes more or less like this with very subtle orchestration until a flute starts breathily wailing out howling wind-like tones <laughs> at about the 4 minute 45 second mark. I found this movement to be rather cute. It sounded like a sad circus troupe trying to be entertaining. Okay, the fourth movement, we get the first intermezzo. This is pulseless. And... Um, What's happening in these intermezzi, whenever you see an intermezzo, some of the instruments are tuned down to a slightly lower pitch. Now, it's not a full half tone down. It's usually like an eighth or a fourth of a tone. So we're dealing with microtones here. The interruption reminds us of traditional tuning, but here it has the reverse function. The ensemble will hang less closely together. Uh, the intermezzi function as pauses... Um, um, he said, this is um, Abrahamson's notes, like the Sphinxes in Schumann's piano work Carnival, if you know that work. They're food for thought, sort of. They're a moment of, th of thought, so you can collect your thoughts. Here, the strings, the alto flute, the cor anglaise, and the bass clarinet are tuned down a sixth of a tone. Mm. This creates interference because the other instruments move away from the piano's immovable tuning, as well as from each other internally. Like ice, it is as if the music slowly melts through the three intermezzi, reaching a point at which, like an ice flow, it can break apart and glide away. This is an interesting place to put this. It's between the two cannons. Um, it's really just a minute of long-held notes, followed by about 15 seconds of silence. Hmm. Cannon 2B. This is the partner for the cannon in track 3. This has the same um, direction. Uh, for playing Lustig Spielen. So it's again, it's going to be uh, happy, merry playing. Uh, both groups play in this one. The swirling now comes from all sides at the same time. This cannon doesn't march like its partner does. It's more rhythmless swirling. The strings players tap on the strings with their bows to create a rhythmic feel as a mixture of wind and string instruments play swirling patterns. This all stops at one point for a pause and resumes the basic pattern in a slightly different way. 
It suddenly changes again and gets louder. There's a rather big change of pattern, about 2 minutes and 45 seconds, where the music plays at what sounds like the loudest since it started. Some pretty interesting glissando figures appear in the winds and piano after the 5-minute mark. All right. On to canon 3A, we're in the third set of canons, labeled Sehr langsam, schleppend und mit Trubsin, im Tempo des Tai Chi. <laughs> this means very slow, <laughs> sluggish, with gl gloom, at the pace of Tai Chi. That's quite a musical <laughs> description. Mm, that's unique, yes. Yeah, I think that might be unique in uh, uh, composed music. <laughs> <laughs> tai Chi. All right. Here, the polyphony moves at such a slow pace that the ensemble appears to be a wholly new body with a different breathing pattern. Abrahamson, Abrahamson compares these two movements with Chinese Tai Chi exercises. This starts very quietly and features some shakuhachi-like breathy sounds blown across the flutes. The shakuhachi, by the way, is like a bamboo flute from Japan. The canon is indeed very slow, with lots of space before each note is sounded in a kind of uh, Klangfarben melody type manner. Klangfarben melody is a word that uh, Schoenberg uh, invented to describe when indivi different individual notes in a melody are played by a different instrument. So each instrument will play one note, and together. it's a really cool effect, by the way. Mm. Um, you hear it also in Berlioz's um, um, Symphony Fantastique in the... Uh, the March to the Scaffold movement, but uh, it didn't have a name then. Schoenberg was the one who <laughs> named it. But that was the first time it was ever done. It's really cool. Uh, we hear a different timbre. In this case, probably not on each note, but at least on each few notes. Um, it's it's a nice effect. I always enjoy hearing something like that. I'd love to hear a whole movement written like that where, mm. you know, different instruments play like a different, you know, a different note and it all comes into one big melody. The length of each tone lengthens until something more musically tangible is reached at the end of the movement. Canon 3B, same uh, Tai Chi instruction. This starts with piano playing. Um, the piano playing really the entire line with crystalline tones and harmonies calculated to provide an icy quality. I liked the harmonies that the piano played. There's some really dissonant notes in there. It sounded like it could be augmented fourths, but I couldn't make it out. The music slowly crescendos until it reaches a comfortably audible volume in the middle of the movement at about the 2 minute and 30 second mark. And I think this movement is all piano. There might be some subtle other instruments in there, but it sounded like all piano to me. We arrive at intermezzo 2. Here, the violin and viola slide down another sixth of a tone. This is only a minute and 8 seconds long. Uh, we hear the violin and viola sliding down into their microtones, and it's just long, drawn-out tones from both instruments. Canon 4A. We're getting shorter now. These are both three minutes long. Um, homage à WAM. That's uh, Mozart. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Stürmlich unruhig und nervous. Uh, stormy, restless, and nervous. This is a contrast to um, the uh, third movement canons. It's very restless, unlike the Tai Chi movements, which are very relaxed. Um Abrahamson says this is a winter greeting to Mozart. Uh, Abrahamson uses the same sleigh bells as Mozart in his snow piece, Die Schlittenfahrt, the sleigh ride, from his three German dances, K605. 
Um, that's the only thing he uses, the sleigh bell sound. And the rest of it is completely unrelated to Mozart. Uh, the material, if there's any other material for Mozart, it's, I didn't identify it. It might very well be in there. But I think he's just using that timbre, the sleigh bell timbre, because Mozart uses it in his piece. This is pretty chaotic and gets towards being noisy, uh, but the volume keeps it in check. It never gets very loud. Each instrument is busy with its own material, although, again, I guess there's a cannon in there. They're all called cannons. Anyway, cannon 4B, uh, maggiore. Oh, this is in the major key, whereas 4A was in the minor key. Um, this has the same instructions. This is a uh, change of timbral picture with a lot of rumbling from the bass of the piano below. The music suddenly quiets in the middle for a bit, then gets busy again after a minute and 30 seconds. These movements are all relatively short now. Like I said, under three minutes. Then we get to intermezzo three. The piccolo flute and cello slide down the sixth of a tone. This is only 30 seconds long. Blink and you'll miss it. We hear the strings providing a, feathery, a light feathery bed for the piccolo, which only emits two long-held tones. And the cello is in there too. I guess the strings are the cello in this case. All right, Canon 5A. This is the uh, rectus and Canon 5B in versus. So rectus means upright, and then in versus would be like the mirror image um, canon. These are both a minute long, these movements. Labeled einfach und kindlich, simple and childish. This is um, described as an enchanted and naive fairyland where this and the inverted canon mirror each other and give us a glimpse into a snow-decked eternity. I said this had an enchanted woods crystalline ticking quality to it, and it's very brief. Okay, the inversus is really the same timbres with the same ticking quality provided by the piano line, only the cannon is inverted here. And this movement is also a little longer, it's a minute and 50 seconds. It ends suddenly when it reaches the end of the theme. Okay, so... This music is introverted, and it's very solitary music, and it provides a space for relieving happiness through freedom in an objective clarity, according to the notes. So, the question at the end of this is, do I like this? Um, I don't think this is music you like or dislike. You have to, <laughs> you have to like the state it puts you in, all right? It's, it sort of like puts you in a state and you like that, you know, you, you don't really think, oh, I liked that that movement. It's just not like that. Um, and I liked the state it put me in. Uh, the work puts the mind in a meditative place, uh, making the environment quiet enough to evoke memory. So I think uh, it really depends on the quality of your memories as to whether you'll enjoy this or not. Um, if you're a restless type, I would stay away. <laughs> Um, my, my brother's going to hate this, by the way, because he, he likes to listen to everything we talk about. <laughs> I can't see him liking this. But I think um, if you just sit down and put it on it, and, and just focus on it, it'll, uh, I think it'll put you in a good place for the most part. Let me know, by the way. Why don't you write to us in the email and tell us what you thought of this. <laughs> you can handle those responses. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, Putting it that way, you know, there was another recording we did a few weeks ago. I'm trying to think which one it was, but uh, it was something about it exists and you respond to it. That was oh, what the, did we say that about? Yeah. That was funny. That was funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't that's kind what of it was, how I felt about this. Um, and it, I can, 
maybe approach it more if I don't try to think of it as music as such. Yeah, that's really what it came down more to. More of like as... Uh, it's sounds. It's organized sounds. Yeah, really. structured sounds that... Uh, it's not program music, as we were saying. It's not depicting a snowstorm or a snowscape. But it does it, have a snowy quality. Right. Uh, so it's sort of, uh, I don't know, a kind of impression of something like that. Yeah, there's some interesting sounds, surprising things. Uh, I, I really, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I'm impressed <laughs> with your description because it's much better than I would have been able to do uh, with it. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I won't have any, always looking for the positive, Russ. I don't have a, any real attachment or anything to say about this in particular, other than the the different timbres and things that happen uh, could be interesting to listen to, uh, and then you have these sort of strange sort of, uh, I don't know, what is the palate of the ear? I don't know. But it's like a palate cleanse with the intermezzos. Uh, nice, yeah. And mm. then you know, there's lots of space and gaps before you come back. It never really rises uh, to any great volume. So you'll have to listen carefully, actually, to hear a lot of the soft dynamics of it. Yeah, there are there are occasional like grating sounds, but they're not loud enough to really offend. You it's, know, it's so. just rather befuddling to me. This whole composition. <laughs> I don't have anything else to say about it. Really. As, as is the whole twenty first century. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's it's in line with that. Well, let me put it this way: Did you like the space it put you in? Yeah, I was ready to listen to something else when I got to the end. <laughs> All right, so you were relaxed. Let's just yeah, yeah. leave it's it It's relaxing, that. for sure. Yeah. Okay. So it left you relaxed. It's not really a yeah. relaxing piece, I didn't think, but it no, did kind of, no. yeah, no. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I liked it. I'm going to hear it again one day, but I, I think it's kind of more of like a, you sort of plan an evening with this. You don't just put it on. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like you decide you're going to listen to it before you put it on. It's one of those recordings, you know? Yeah, don't pick this for your date night. Or take it for your date night and see what happens. <laughs> don't, I don't want to hear it. Uh, I don't want to take responsibility for what happens at the end of that. Yes. All right. We, well, we don't know. We don't know how women will respond to this. You can't say we didn't give you variety this week at the classical. <laughs> <laughs> we so we certainly sure. did. Yeah. We aim. We aim to uh, stretch the ear here in yeah. the classical section. Anyway. All right. Well, there you have it. Three very different releases in classical category. Now, well, it's jazz time, I guess. And well, I'm really excited about uh, these three I've got this week. They're uh, all good. Yeah. For, for the past uh, few episodes, I've had you know, specific themes as far as instruments. We did uh, trumpet and piano. This week, I don't have a theme other than that these are all new releases that all had something really special. Uh, that caught my ear and made me want to talk about them right away. And uh, maybe the, the one I've just fell in love with the moment I heard it is this first one uh, here. Uh, and Yeah, you this, talked about this one all week to me, yeah, actually. I really <laughs> love this. You wrote me several messages about it. I can't stop I listening to too. this yeah. uh, because it's just so beautiful. And uh, we're talking about a release called Indigo, which is uh, the music of Duke Ellington. Uh, and this is on Vision Fugitive label. That's a cool name. Uh, 
played by two French musicians, uh, the clarinetist Jean-Marc Foltz and uh, Stéphane Oliva on Those piano. Those French, man. Yeah, and I think that's what gives this uh, American music uh, a new sort of, uh, I don't know, aspect, a new uh, look. Uh, because as we've brought up many times on the podcast, the French have a unique kind of way of... Uh, experiencing timbre or highlighting yeah. those qualities. And uh, I thought uh, that was added here most nicely, uh, particularly because Fultz uses mostly bass clarinet, uh, which has that right. unique sound that we really like. Uh, yeah, both of us really love so that sound. So a whole album of almost all bass clarinet. And uh, I found uh, on all the tunes, in some places especially, uh, Oliva's unique piano harmonizations uh, bring a kind of almost impressionistic character to some of the tunes um, that really, you know, takes Ellington's beautiful kind of more uh, subtle works into a new experience. So every time I listen to this, I find something really new and beautiful on it. And apparently this is a kind of anniversary recording for them of their first duo that they did 20 years uh, prior. And so here they are with this portrait of Duke Ellington music. And other than the sound, uh, I got to recommend this is this is going to go on my already uh, pretty sure will be on my 2022 favorite recordings because it's going to take a lot to knock this out. It's certainly going to go into my CD collection if it comes yeah, out on CD. It's unavailable yeah. now currently. Yeah. Um, but you're going to want this even if you don't listen to it for the album cover. <laughs> Oh, it's got a great album cover. That's right. The album yeah. cover is uh, a picture that uh, comes out of uh, you know a still shot from Lawrence of Arabia, and uh, you'll recognize <laughs> that uh, familiar duo of Peter O'Toole and uh, what is it, uh, Omar Sharif. Uh, but if, when you look on the right to see the Omar Sharif character. Uh, it's uh, Jean-Marc Foltz playing bass clarinet <laughs> uh, with some camels in the background. So it's kind of did, an interesting... Did, did they put Oliva's face over Peter O'Toole's or no? I don't know. They're, they're kind of indistinct uh, yeah, facial okay. things. So you can imagine them. Uh, I don't know what... Uh, I know what uh, Foltz looks like. I'm not sure Olivia's uh, picture. Yeah, I've only seen him in profile at the piano. But uh, I just thought it was a really... <laughs> Kind of eye-catching design. Uh, Made an impression. Yeah. Um, so that's a pretty interesting cover. Anyway, let's go through some of these uh, tracks here, uh, picking up a lot of uh, well-known Ellington tunes and then some you may have uh, not heard in a while. Uh, so it starts with the famous uh, In a Sentimental Mood. This is a 1935 composition. Uh begins with this wonderful, warm bass clarinet, uh, yeah. soft articulation. Uh, Oliva adds a lush rubato accompaniment and really close intervals in his harmonies. Uh, a little bit after, um, almost a minute and a half in, Oliva sets a more steady, slow beat uh, to the melody and uh, with chords for a while uh, until it flows rubato once again. Foltz keeps it sparse and close to the melody, uh, highlighting his fluid tone. It's a very lush and lovely start. Uh, you can see how they're going to treat these wonderful Ellington melodies. Track two is Solitude. It's from 1934. Uh, rubato and sparse beginning again. Uh, listen for some of the deep 
bass clarinet tones. Uh, some of the oh, tones yeah. that instrument can get will move your woofers uh, <laughs> if you've got yeah. your speakers playing. Oh, uh, my woofers are moving. <laughs> Oliva trickles out some sparse right-hand figures. There's a delicate touch between just spaced-out chords, uh, and it comes uh, to the front for a little while uh, on the piano. And uh, there's also a really nice uh, clarinet overtone uh, that sneaks through three minutes and 41 seconds. It's sort of an extra tone from space that comes in there. Yeah, I want to mention that Foltz, he has this um, breathy kind of Stan Getz attack to his instrument mm. too. And as though like uh, ha just having the tone of a bass clarinet isn't enough, he's he gets he has this really sensual way of shaping the melody. Yes. It's, yeah. it's really just curvy and sensuous, and I just liked it a lot. And one thing, I think it, it's a, kind of a, a brave thing to do to take these this material and just work through it with no rhythm instruments you know just the piano when it adds that extra rhythmic element but there's such free-flowing rubato nature through the whole thing they're not worried about really establishing a lot of tempos it's all focusing on the wonderful melodic development in these tunes and their minds are completely synced and it just works together so well. I've not heard many recordings that bring this kind of character to my mind. Uh, it's really wonderful. The next track, track three, is Black and Tan Fantasy. Uh, this is uh, from earlier, 1927, uh, also credited to uh, Bubber Miley uh, with Ellington. So a really mournful bass clarinet uh, intro here, some muted uh, low piano percussive notes. Oliva brings in the swing rhythm with a descending bass line. They get a nice unison line together before a pause and more slow clarinet cries and improvisations. Oliva comes back low and dark to match the mood. Then Foltz really plums the depths of the instrument uh, with some nice bends of pitch as well. Uh, just before five minutes, it brightens up into kind of a major tonality again. Oliva gets a rubato swing going on his own, and then Fultz joins in for a restatement of the melody. Track four, The Single Petal of a Rose. Uh, this is from the Queen's, the Queen's Suite, uh, written in honor of the Queen. England, that is. Uh, I think it was written in 1959, but uh, it wasn't released until the 70s, maybe 1976 or so, uh, as so a recording of sweets. Was this for her coronation or something? I think so. Uh, he was involved in that? Wow. Uh, huh. Yeah, he met the Queen. Um, I forgot the exact story, uh, Ellington. But um, this is um, it's a really lovely uh, piece. Uh, it's got a piano intro with a pause. Uh, then they play the melody in unison. And all of his chords voicing here, this is one of the spots where he gets a little touch of kind of impressionist uh, French uh, piano sound to it. It's really oh, nice. Always welcome to my yeah. ears. <laughs> um, again, Foltz gets really down in the lower register. Uh, it's rubato, it's slow, and it's incredibly beautiful. Uh, a wonderful composition. And he gets some really cool reedy honks in too. Yeah. Yeah, really nice. Love that sound. Uh, track five, African Flower. Uh, this is from uh, 1962 recording, Money Jungle. Um, moving mm. piano figures, legato bass clarinet lines uh, above. Uh, 
uh, there's uh, rhythmic sync with the piano left hand. Uh, Foltz is very vapor-like here. Uh, it's like a warm breeze just floating the notes. It's it's almost like uh, he's, uh, you know, uh, breathing in his sleep and they just kind of float out like that. Uh, really delicate. Uh, track six, uh, we heard uh, on the America recording earlier. Uh, yeah. Here, it's just a little snippet, uh, Come Sunday. It's, from it's 23 seconds long. Yeah, it's, a pre <laughs> it's listed as prelude to the next yeah. track, 1942. Uh, and it kind of leads into Mood Indigo uh, from 1930. Fultz breathily exhales the melody slowly yeah. uh, with one nice reedy grunt added. Uh, you know, this is one of Ellington's more famous melodies. Uh, it's, it's almost like he's just exhaling a breath and it's coming out as this melody. It's a really yeah. cool kind of like fusion between like breath and <laughs> music, you know? Oliva uh, interjects kind of higher chords and they keep it lazy and hazy uh, until Fultz rips this reedy tone and it starts to pick up <laughs> a bit into a little rocking swing uh, for Fultz to solo over. Uh, Oliva gets some uh, lines in two and then Fultz plays some counterpoint uh, really low and this will move your woofers with some of the notes he gets in, in this track. Uh, it slows for a cadenza, a cadenza by Fultz uh, that has some fluid tones and deep digs, uh, deep dips, uh, down, uh, ending with a little melody snippet from uh, the fa the familiar melody. Uh, track eight, Reflections in D. This is from 1953. Uh, this has got a bass clarinet intro, then the piano comes in. Again, a nice little impressionistic touch by Oliva. Uh, Foltz fills in on low sustained notes and then joins in with the melody. And Oliva lightly touches uh, out some intervals for the ending. Uh, track nine, Sunset and the Mockingbird. This is also from the Queen's Suite. You get long sustained bass clarinet note with vibrato and rolling cluster chords on the piano. It gets a little more motion. All of his higher notes come out like trickling water as Fultz plays bird-like high register figures on regular clarinet. Uh, I'm sh pretty sure this is one of the spots where he switches over. Uh, Oliva gets some solo time, and then Fultz joins back in again with floating uh, flute-like figures uh, in his kind of uh, breathing and articulation. Yeah, uh, we, we should mention we're talking about the Queen of England, right? right <laughs> because right. There, are, there are other queens out there. Right. <laughs> okay. uh, and then there's a mysterious overtone sound, four minutes and seven seconds, uh, that sort of escapes from the clarinet uh, and then a lone harmonically contrasting piano figure ends the tune uh, it's wow a, really just great. floats from out there yeah, yeah. Uh, track 10 now this is a really cool one uh, it's a medley of a lot of Ellington tunes that are stitched together skillfully um, and they're they're not listed in uh, streaming but they are on the album notes uh, from uh Let's see. Where did I find these? I don't know. Uh, you can find them online. Anyway, it starts with Cottontail. Uh, Oliva plays the familiar piano figure, uh, but it slows uh, into the next tune, I Got It Bad. Uh, Fultz adds some regular clarinet, and Oliva does uh, some rubato melody here. That goes into 
uh, Such Sweet Thunder uh, that has kind of a familiar bass line uh, in the piano left hand, which you'll be able to pick up if you know this tune. Uh, Foltz adds some bass clarinet and gets a cadenza that automatically kind of uh, segues into Sophisticated Lady, uh, where Foltz gets down uh, low, and then that segues into Prelude to a, a Kiss, and the piano is joined uh, by Foltz with a higher melody line on the bass clarinet. There's a pause. Then uh, Isfahan, another well-known Ellington tune. Uh, Foltz plays the melody on bass clarinet, and it slows and has a pause before a rubato ending down low. And then into uh, the next tune, uh, not part of the medley, uh, Caravan. Uh, it's a really famous tune, uh, so their version of it is a little bit different because it's rather yeah. slow, uh, and uh, the famous intro, but a slower version of that. Uh, Fultz plays the familiar melody line on bass clarinet. Uh, you know, everyone knows this melody. Uh, over Oliva's creative descending harmonic figures. Uh, Oliva keeps kind of a tide flowing with rhythmic left-hand figures, some triplet figures as well, while Foltz floats longing lines on top to the end. And uh, then they end up with 12 Lotus Blossom, which is uh, actually a Billy Strayhorn composition. Uh, that has got an interesting uh, kind of history to it uh, because the name of the song changed <laughs> over time <laughs> since he wrote it. It was like Hominy and then All Roads Lead Back to You. Uh, and uh, Johnny Hodges uh, recorded it as... Uh, uh, Charlotte Russe, uh, hmm. and then uh, <laughs> it became Lotus Blossom uh, in 1959. <laughs> it's a kind of interesting history. Uh, this one has uh, a rubato start with some motion. Foltz blows the melody softly before he passes it off to Oliva uh, and then blows counter lines to that. Midway through, Foltz takes the melody again. Uh, Oliva is more uh, soft and delicate in the middle of the keyboard without the low bass notes from the beginning. Uh, Foltz has a run-up higher that brings more energy and then repeats in the higher octave before finishing up with some almost subsonic tones and uh, <laughs> leaving Oliva to finish it off with some pretty last phrases. So this is a recording with great sensitivity and beauty. It's all open uh they're uh, exposed in a very uh, unhurried fashion, uh, giving you the intricate melodies and harmonies of Ellington's music. And the music breathes yeah. almost like as a relaxed human uh, as they move unhurriedly through all of these songs. So take the time to enjoy this in a peaceful s setting. Uh, block everything else out. The sound quality is wonderful. Uh, just two instruments and beautiful music. High recommendation. Yeah, I should. We should mention also. This is the entire album is a is very uh, what's what's the word um, slow tempo, mm. like or, or almost no tempo in some cases. Um, it's quiet and it's ideal for late night listening. This is a really good record for that, and it's got these really lots of low frequencies as well. Um, the the whole album keeps the same mood without any contrast, but it's a really appealing mood. So I yeah I liked it a lot. It's gentle and unobtrusive all the way through. Uh, sonically pleasing, like you said, it's, it's a great recording. And this is a keeper. This needs to come out on a CD. We should pester them and tell them, put out a CD. I want it, this. Rarely, I like the you, album cover, too. <laughs> you don't get to hear so much bass clarinet all in one place. And, yeah, uh, it's and especially played one. like this, too. It's got this 
uh, again, this kind of like almost like liquid feel to it. You don't yeah. really feel like notes are changing as much as just kind of melting into each other mm. and stuff. It's really good. So uh, woodwind instrument fans, Ellington music fans, uh, this is great. And it has, obviously these, these two musicians love Ellington's music. And there's just that little sprinkling of uh, French uh, impressionistic ad- added harmony that Oliva adds to that. Uh, with that love of timbre that the French do so well. So. Yeah, what's not yeah. to like? Yeah. There's all my favorite things about music right there. You're going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> this one's sweet without I, being I, schmaltzy. Yeah. I guess we are going to do our New York accents again. We just couldn't, <laughs> couldn't stop. Couldn't stop. Couldn't stop. All right, uh, next one, something completely different. Um, but I liked this one for a lot of reasons. This is the uh, Canadian guitarist, uh, Sam Kiermaier. And uh, he's uh, active in Montreal, uh, works around there with uh, a lot of famous Canadian musicians. Uh, he's also an educator, teaches guitar and uh, jazz history at Concordia University. And he has degrees in jazz performance from McGill University and also University of Montreal. And uh, I have a long, long list of uh guitar recordings uh, because hmm. uh, there's always lots of guitar trios and uh, also yeah. piano trios. This one stood out to me because uh, what uh, Kermeyer has done is he's got uh, a recording of all original compositions that are interesting and he's s- sort of um, fixed his guitar in the context of a larger ensemble with great arrangements and uh, seeing himself as just a part of you know, a larger arranged uh, group. And that's what I thought was the big draw and uh, why I liked this one a lot. So this is uh, Sam Kermeyer's In This Moment. It's on the Cellar Live label. Uh, so Kermeyer on electric guitar here. Al McLean, tenor saxophone. Uh, another thing that I liked in the arrangement, we got trombone. And recently, mm. <laughs> I want to hear a lot of trombone. Going to hear some more later. We're going to hear some more later, yeah. And you've got uh, on trombone, Muhammad Abdul Al-Kabir, uh, Sean Fife on piano, Alec Walkington on bass, Andre White on drums, all tunes, uh, original compositions by Kermeyer. Uh, and there's some pretty neat ones here. Uh, we start with a tune called The Turnout. Uh, this is a tune, uh, like Kermeyer's Originals uh, in general, that has a lot of nice harmonic movement. And all these tunes have good horn arrangements. Uh, Fifey plays the intro line on piano, hammers out a repeated chord uh, that builds in inversions uh, as it goes up. Uh, Kermeyer comes in with a section of the melody backed by the harmonized horns. Uh, the trombone gets the lead for a section of the melody, which is cool, trades off gu- with the guitar, uh, and there's a break into Kermeyer's solo. Uh, he has a really warm guitar sound, but also a clean attack. I like that kind of uh, combination uh, in his guitar sound. Uh, McLean gets a tenor solo here. Uh, he sounds really good on this album. He has a brusque sound, uh, and this solo features some cool ascending riffs. Uh, Fifey is next with a nice piano solo uh, featuring some runs, uh, clean attacks, and the drums get some solo time uh, going around before the guitar and uh, 
uh, chord turnarounds at the end. Yeah, very Tra- lively, very lively track after yeah. the uh, after all those bass. It was really slow bass. This really just woke me up. It was, yeah. it was like coffee after like you know a night's sleep or something. Yeah, this is a, a pretty energetic uh, program of music. Uh, mm-hmm. Track two, cross purpose. This one starts with kind of an even Latin beat and a bass line doubled in the piano. Uh, left hand and bass. The sax gets the modal melody uh, with horns coming in for backing. Uh, the trombone doubles the sax and then harmonizes uh, on the repeat. So nice attention attention to the arrangement. The middle section of the melody changes up the beat. Uh, kind of, it's got that kind of change up that you hear in tunes like Night in Tunisia. Uh, so it just stands out as a separate uh, feel. Uh, there's a different final section to the melody as well. Uh, sax solos first. Uh, it's an intense one, uh, getting that kind of Pharaoh uh, Sanders kind of uh, uh, intensity uh, in some of the phrases. Uh, Kermire is next on guitar. His solo has some cool stop time uh, and our not stop time, rather stop and start line figures. It's uh, something I noticed in his playing. He'll get a line that starts up, stops, and then kind of uh, goes again. Uh, And it gives you a kind of uh, interesting sort of, uh, I don't know, I'm going to say teasing Um, to melodic development that he gets in his solos. hmm. Uh, And I like that a lot. Um, After a repeat of the last melody section uh, together, uh, out Al Kabir gets a trombone solo. Uh, he pushes the harmonics uh, in our extensions in the chords here, and some nice tricky slide work uh, getting in the upper register, and ends up with some bluesy figures. Uh, Fifey has a piano solo, uh, starts with some bluesy, uh, more repeated notes, and then emphasizes the Latin rhythm. Uh, with some nice accented chords. Uh, nicely harmonized horns come in to push his solo along, and uh, they repeat the intro and the main melody sections again and vamp out with some uh, final improvisations from Kermeyer to close out. Uh, nice funky tune. Uh, it's a good one. Track three, Sleight of Hand. This one starts with some descending uh, figures, unison in the guitar and horns. They get the swinging melody going. Uh, nice drum hits on the syncopated accents in the melody. It gets harmonized in the middle section. Al Kabir is up first on trombone. I like, he has kind of a voice-like quality uh, in his uh, trombone sound uh, with good sense of swing. Uh, McLean has another tenor solo here. Uh, it's a little uh, smoother, but still some bite in his articulation and tone. And then Kermeyer has a nice swinging solo here, lines that change direction skillfully with a few bluesy tinges uh, in his ideas. And next there's an arranged section with sax and guitar lines working against the trombone uh, in the arrangement to come back to the melody. So that's what uh, really drew me into this album, the well-thought-out uh, use of horn arrangements and, uh, you know, as backing and building uh, the melodies along. Yeah, I want to mention on this track, too, there's a, there's a great transition into the uh, solo section from the theme. Um, it, it almost like it just melts into the uh, trombone solo. Mm. And then they come back the same way. It's, they're, they're two right. fantastic transitions. And this, yeah, I think bringing they were that little... Out. Part, ahead of time part back in rather than just going from one solo to the next right right uh that's nice uh track four blues for proskorov um piano drums bass uh, start with some rubato rolling left hand and moving chords then there's like a eight bar uh intro sw- swinging uh into this kind of uh 
minor, minor swinging 12 bar blues, but it's in uh, six, six beats to a measure. <laughs> so it's a uh, oh. familiar pattern with a little unusual time signature. Uh, Kimmerer plays the melody that has arranged horn line backing, uh, and he solos first. Uh, he's relaxed and fluid. Uh, works a lot on the lower strings here. Sounds good. Alcabir gets a trombone solo next, uh, leaving lots of space between his phrases. Uh, and then McLean's up on tenor. Uh, he channels lots of angst with edgy tone uh, and gets out into the outer harmonic extensions here. Uh, cool solo. Fife's piano solo uh, has... Uh, contrasting clearly articulated lines and then some hammered out bluesy chords and he continues on with trills and bluesy runs as the horns and guitar come back in behind him then they take it back to the melody and jam out to a chilled ending uh, so i like that the horn arrangements come you know come back into back the solos sort of mm. cheer on the soloists uh, going on it's always a nice thing to do track five afterthought uh, this one's fast swinging out of the gate. The trombone takes the melody, uh, harmonized on the second part of it uh, with guitar and sax. It's a nice contrasting B section to the melody in this one. Uh, Alkabir solos first, and the tempo gives uh, him an arm workout <laughs> on the slide <laughs> at this tempo. Um, but he swings it along nicely. Uh, Kermeyer is next showing off some uh, nice chops and clear articulation on fast triplet figures. Uh, the horns come in for backing again here, too. And uh, McLean has a solo with slinky lines that offset his uh, sometimes gruff tone. Uh, the horns come in with uh, guitar to build uh, to the piano solo. And Fifey sounds really caffeinated on this one, like he had a couple of espresso shots, uh, hey, rapid he's... repeating rising figures in his solo. Yeah, he also sounds pretty classical here. He, these mm. this really just sound like classical figuration to me, arpeggio scales, yeah. that sort of thing. So it's a fun, upbeat number. Uh, track six, the same, the new same old, the new same old, uh, piano intro, some nice drum brush work. Uh, Kiermaier takes a ballad uh, melody here. There's a nice backing horn lines with muted trombone and uh, little tasty piano fill sections in the melody. Uh, Fifey has a piano solo first. Shows off a nice delicate sense of touch on this one, uh, building into more percussive chiming notes. Uh, Kermaier's solo here is really chilled and flows nicely. Lots of different uh, rhythmic patterns uh, mixed in his melodies. It slows to a stop and resets the tempo with the horns joining back in for the melody again. Track seven, the title one, uh, In This Moment. Uh, the guitar melody line is nicely harmonized by the horns in this tune uh, that weave off into counter lines uh, in spots. Uh, there's a little uh, solo sax spot in the melody uh, portion itself. Uh, listen to the cool rhythm change-ups from swing to Latin beats with lots of cool little breaks in the melody. Uh, McLean is up first to solo on tenor, lots of edgy tone and cries. Uh, the rhythm changes up, changes up that creates a nice section for climax uh, between the Latin and swing beats. Uh, Kermire is next with some cool tumbling little figures and some standout articulated uh, quarter notes and great melodic figures and a trill over the Latin section. And then Fifey is next with a hard swinging solo uh, nice left-hand driving chords, and they go through the uh, well-arranged melody once again. And uh, then we've got uh, track eight, Lost in the City. Uh, 
This one's got guitar and horn alternating lines in the intro. Uh, it's a slinky minor blues with a few kind of unexpected harmonic uh, steps or progressions in it. Uh, Camaro plays it with the horns backing and uh, ticking over for a bit. Uh, it seems to be uh, like A-A-B-A form, but the A is 10 measures, B is 8 measures, and then the final A is like uh, 12 measures that include the break. So <laughs> kind of a, a unique phrase length here. Mm -hmm. um, Kermeyer takes the first solo. It's smooth and bluesy. Uh, horns coming in on the B section. Uh, McLean is next. A real tough tenor solo here. Uh, and some rhythm section stop time behind him. Nice to change up the backing behind the solos. Uh, Fifey starts out his piano solo next with a repeated note uh, before launching into more melodic and bluesy ideas. And on the piano solo, the horns come in on the B section uh, as they did on the guitar. The drums get a little uh, feature section between unison guitar and horn lines. And uh, one more run through the melody with a nice ending that uh, slows down and the guitar takes over the last repeated figure up an octave. Uh, so, you know, unusual construction hmm. a bit, but uh, kind of a really cool uh, bluesy tune. Next, uh, Quixote. Uh, it's a piano intro uh, into, uh, it's like a breezy 6-8 melody uh, harmonized on uh, guitar and horns. Uh, with the horn lines weaving off for little accented backing figures and spots. Uh, there's a little uh, sax tag that seems like it might be the start of a solo, but then things quiet down for a bass solo uh, that's deep sounding and melodic. Uh, Fifey has a lovely piano solo here that builds into chiming high register figures, and Kermeyer has a pretty melodic solo too that connects back to the end of the melody uh, with nice horn line backing for a finish. And uh, then we finish up with Soliloquy. Uh, this is a cool alternating chord intro uh, to this piece. A little connecting bass and piano left-hand riff uh, between uh, these chord figures. The horns and Kermeyer join in backing and then take uh, the slowly stated melody. Uh, McLean solos on tenor over uh, what develops into a real steady walking bass line. Uh, uses a lot of ascending runs and some bluesy Coltrane-like ideas, uh, ending in a, a low grunting tone. And then uh, Alkabir gets a trombone solo. Uh, next, he gets into some interesting phrasing uh, that the rhythm section responds to, uh, sort of outside of the regular rhythm pattern going on. Uh, Kermeyer is next, starting with some bluesy themes, then reaching uh, some interesting harmonic ideas, fluid runs, uh, cool interval figures, and he really gets to stretch out uh, more than uh, the other tunes uh, here for a fine solo. This this track, I just want to say, this track fades out. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's yeah. the end of the album, and it fades out. Yeah, it what could was go that on. about? I, I kind of wished, uh, when, when that happens... Like mm. It's the last track on the album, and it fades out. I, I feel like they're all, everybody's still soloing now. Yeah. You know, like right. days later, they're still playing, and I'm not hearing yeah. it. I'm really, Never it makes me end, all yeah. anxious about it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm missing something good. My first hearing of Kermeyer, but I like his guitar playing, uh, really nice tone, fluid chops, uh, nice ideas, clear articulation. Uh, and all of his original compositions here are interesting. And what really stuck out is the horn arrangements uh, and 
the character of the other soloists. So I thought it's uh, an interesting recording, fresh sounding music, and really good recording quality. Nice sound quality on this one. Yeah, he kind of reminded me that the guitar sound. I was thinking, oh, Pat Martino, you know. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pat, Pat's gone now, but we we have... Uh... We have we have this now, uh, Sam Kermeyer, and yeah. probably some others out there. He's yeah. he's he kind of has. I think the approach is similar. It's not the same, definitely. He's got but, one uh, foot firmly in the tradition, and right. then one foot uh, out there. Especially, I think he yeah, he's a good composer, so I think he'll find and create, you know, his own material that you know challenges him to make really nice improvised ideas. And if he can arrange this way too, getting other musicians in, it's really. Uh, Complete recording, very satisfying. Lots of stuff yeah, to but, listen to. Yeah, is this the the first? This is the first time you've heard him. Is this his first album? No, no, he's got some other recordings. Yeah, I mean, a, this a might lot? be third. No, oh, okay. um, yeah, this might be three or four. I'm not sure. Yeah, but um, okay. Yeah, definitely give this a listen. All guitar players and uh, yeah, anyone who likes to hear uh, really good uh, original compositions and nice horn lines too. Yeah. All right, and. Uh, as I alluded to, uh, but <laughs> saved to the end, uh, last uh, earlier in the episode, last week we had um, a debut recording uh, by a Hungarian pianist, uh, Peter Garifus. And uh, I just picked that one from my long piano list because I thought it was a you know, uh, recording that just had a really good uh, feel, nice mixture uh, things and great piano playing too, and uh, so uh, I let uh, Peter know that we talked about it, and he was really happy uh, that someone noticed because he had been sitting on releasing that album for a while. He recorded it actually in 2019, but just got it out on streaming, and he hopes to have it out on uh, disc. And he'll let us know uh, when he does that. Uh, but he was kind enough to also uh, share the podcast on his Facebook page, and that's uh, one of the things. I liked about uh, doing this podcast. I'm actually rather find, uh, you know, a new artist or some artist that I haven't heard of and maybe, you know, most people haven't, uh, who's making great music rather than just pick up the releases that all the uh, critics and magazines uh, recognize, uh, you know. And uh, that's, for me, kind of joy of preparing for this is digging through all the releases and finding little gems Every right, week. and not only that, you're really doing uh, the music, uh, you know, a, a, a favor too, because a lot of those scenes, like the New York scene, is kind of set, and it's a certain style. It's hard to like break into it if you want right. to do something yeah. different, because they're all kind of, you know, this is the way. Yeah, it's New you York. Know, you play yeah. here. It's New York. You play yeah. like this here, you know. Yeah. In some ways, I like that, but I mean, you know, you got <laughs> there's other music out there too. Yeah, but as you know, we've seen there's great jazz scenes all around the world, and. Uh, yeah, you can always find some new interesting recordings uh, in uh, on unexpected labels and from yeah, interesting places. So this week, we'll end up with another debut recording. And uh, this one is just uh, uh, really cool because it's trombone. And, uh, it's really interesting, yeah, too. Yeah. This guy's got some super chops. Uh, yeah, great musicianship on this record. And this is by uh, Matt Hall. Uh, it's a little interesting story to it, too. Uh, the title, I Hope to My Never on Summit hmm. Records. So uh, Matt Hall is uh, originally from Tennessee, and uh, he was in the uh, United States Marine Corps Jazz Orchestra when he was in the Marines. Then, hey, he's a uh, SUNY 
graduate too. So oh, wow. I, w- I was a SUNY student, but he was in Purchase a Conservatory in New York studying with John Faddis. Uh, mm. And uh, then I think he's out on the West Coast now. I'm not exactly sure. But uh, this is his debut album. And uh, apparently this says uh, from uh, the album... Uh, release notes this debut album pays tribute to matt's great aunt joan and her exasperation over matt's constant practicing during his childhood always exclaiming i hope to my never (laughs) (laughs) so it's a familiar story that all of us who played an instrument can relate i know i drove my family and neighbors nuts uh, playing uh, trumpet exercises <laughs> all those years. Um, here, here in Japan, like when like brass players will go down to the river, the yeah. the Kamo River, and practice there. Yeah. It, yeah. Now, fortunately, they have uh, kind of uh, electronic mute systems and things you can use uh, to practice anywhere. But uh, yeah, you can definitely make people around you go nuts. And I can tell you uh, that Matt Hall has practiced a lot, as you'll see if you listen to this album. Uh, So here he is uh, on trombone, uh, also composed, arranged, and produced everything on this album. Uh, He's got uh, a compatriot from his student days here, Charlie uh, Arbeles, alto sax, also composed uh, a tune here. Uh, Luis Valenzuela on guitar, Jason Jason Chatil on piano, Mackenzie Layton upright bass, and Kevin Kenner on drums. So uh, let's get into this program. Uh, we start out with a good title: "Biscuits and Gravy." Yeah, good title. Uh, <laughs> so this one is a kind of a shuffling stop time bluesy tune. Trombone and sax work the melody line together, uh, sometimes harmonizing tightly. Uh, working through the triplets. Uh, Hall is out of the gate with a solo over the stop time with some slick slide and lip work in the upper register. Uh, He's got a great big tone with edge on it when he wants it. He swings hard and with humor uh, in his solo. I like it. Yeah, you said with humor. Um, The trombone just reminds me of Frank Zappa in the real Frank Zappa book was talking about humor and music. Mm. And... uh, he was saying, like, uh, the, the trombone is an instrument that is just, you know, re- really ready for comedy. It's just yeah. ready-made for comedy. And we do hear a bit of it on this album, like you yeah. said. You know, I'll, I'll mention another one later when it comes up. I also feel, though, a trombone can, like, on a ballad, a trombone can capture this kind of lonely sadness sound like no other instrument mm. can, too. Mm. Like... Uh, that's why I've always loved the kind of different aspects of the personality of trombone. Uh, anyway, we'll hear more of that later. Uh, next up in this tune, uh, Arbeles uh, gets an alto solo. He starts with some repeated rapid figures, and then uh, he gets swinging along with some nice boppy lines, also an edgy tone. Uh, he gets some real speedy double-time lines uh, that the drums respond to there. Uh, next, we get a piano solo from uh, Chatil swinging along getting some speedy runs and stretching the harmony a little bit to interesting places before a bluesy ending. Uh, after they repeat the melody, they vamp out for a little more improv with uh, sax and some tricky slide fun uh, from Hall. Uh, track two, the title track, I Hope to My Never. This one uh, has got a syncopated piano intro, a nice drum brush fills creating expectation uh, for this kind of medium tempo tune. Hall introduces the melody. Here, uh, he's got a different aspect 
nice, huge, fluffy sound <laughs> he can get, uh, but clear articulation and some nice wide vibrato on, uh, you know, phrase ends. I liked that. Uh, a lot of loneliness and sadness in the trombone yeah, tone in this track. I like that. Uh, Leighton gets a bass solo spot with some rapid lines, uh, harmonized notes, great articulation. Uh, Hall comes back for a solo himself. He's got really great high register chops, making, mixing in sweet sounding lines with tricky figures uh, for an uplifting solo. It really, you know, just creates a positive kind of vibe uh, with this solo. Uh, we get a uh, piano solo from Chatil. Uh, nice trickling high register ideas and good left hand punctuation. Uh, Hall brings the melody back and ends with a nicely held long note uh, to finish it up. Sadness. Mm. <laughs> uh, three. Uh, nice title. I wonder what it's about. The Thing About Sloan Hill. Well, what is the thing about Sloan <laughs> I don't know. Hill? We don't know. I guess we have to kind of translate this into words somehow. Yeah. Uh, tricky swinging melody that keeps you guessing with drum fills and varied rhythms in the unison on the sax and trombone. Uh, Valenzuela is on guitar for a solo with this one. A lot of uh, tricky but fluid rhythmic figures. And then Hall rips into his solo. <laughs> rips into it. Shows a lot of agility on this one, uh, ending up with a bluesy idea. Another very cool bass solo from Leighton who digs into it and they repeat the cool melody to take it out. Four, we're going to get a jazz standard, uh, Delange and Van Heusen's Deep in a Dream. Drum tom rolls and uh, piano chords. Uh, this is a kind of dun, 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 yeah. dun, dun, dun. So it goes like major and then you raise the fifth to get that augmented and then up again to the, you know, like relative minor. You still stay on the... Uh, root chord in the bass though but that builds that kind of expectation and sets it up for Hall to come in and really make that trombone sing with the longing and lonely tone you can only get on that instrument you know? not only that there's a kind of goofiness to the way he plays this um this melody there's something kind of droopy to it that kind of made yeah yeah <laughs> that, 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 that sounded kind of funny I like it it, it, was, it sounded self-deprecating in his dreaminess you know yeah, what I mean yeah. you know. it was great phrasing uh, lots of nice little touches uh, to the articulation uh, he gets down into the lower register on the bridge uh, for some great contrast to that soaring phrase uh, which he'll contrast himself later in the tune. Chatil gets a tasty piano solo, very pretty upper register melodic figures with a nice touch. And Hall comes back for a solo. The drums brush up the swing a little bit more excitement behind in the solo. He weaves nice melodic lines, uh, ends up with some great tumbling slide figures. And like, <laughs> they just kind of uh, uh, go out. At, you can just... I get a visual when I see it uh, of how the slide movie. Uh, he weaves those kind of things uh, into a uh, fluid guitar solo from Valenzuela. Ends up with some nice double stops and sliding notes. Uh, very tasty there. Hall comes back in on the bridge. This time he's in the upper register and then he weaves that back into the verse. He gets a long cadenza working through some cool triplet figures, low notes with harmonics uh, you know, down yeah. in the uh, extended range, some cycles of uh, harmonies, and then he ends the tune on a crazy high F sharp, uh, way up high. He, he, uh, he gets this 
solo at the end with no accompaniment at all and he gets this really almost emotionally pathetic sort of quality <laughs> there's, there's a lot of humor in his yeah, playing yeah. in this piece there's a kind of like humorous schmaltziness to it at times too yeah. the, the, the word schmaltz is coming back again but except in this case it's played for maybe comedy can i say but at least humor let's just say yeah. all, right. all good fun it was, that, it's a yeah it's quite a <laughs> yeah. that last quite note a track. wow um, yeah here we go. Next one, uh, Spearhead. This is kind of a cool tune. It's got this mysterious alternating bass line figures, uh, little scratchy guitar chords behind it. Then the trombone and sax share the melody. It's got kind of a spy theme bit kind of feel to it uh, with some unexpected turns. Yeah. it's It's got also the trombone slides have a bit of humor in them yeah. too. Like he does a few of those. I kind of slide. Yeah. Hall comes right out of the break from the melody uh, with this solo. It's like, I called it a dizzying rising shake. You know, on a brass instrument, you can get like a lip shake. And of course, on trombone, you have the slide too, but it's just it's like yeah, a I think sense, he has a mute. You know. He has a mute too in this, doesn't he? Like a, uh, I don't think so. No? Okay. Uh, it's the sound. Could have missed it. But, sounded uh, like a mute to me. I don't no, know. I think you just... Uh, you, you're the brass player. I'm going to uh, leave, leave it to you. Yeah, I didn't note it anyway. Anyway, okay. uh, he really navigates the chord changes here with nice melodic ideas, some super articulation on triplets and other figures. Uh, then there's a nice change up from swing to Latin beat and back uh, inside of that, which is cool. Arbelos has uh, intense alto solos, really some burning lines, uh, high shrieking phrases, High energy uh, sax playing, and uh, also a good uh, piano solo from Chatil here, digging in with some rhythmic and hard swinging lines. And they take the fun melody uh, back out for another ride to finish it up. Track six, uh, this is uh, original by the sax player, uh, Arbelez, called No Going Back. You got a drum intro, uh, add bass, guitar, and piano, and it forms into kind of a minor samba that takes shape. Uh, Arbelez has written a very cool melody that's very tricky, but he and Hall really nail it, uh, working together perfectly. Valenzuela is up for a solo first, rapid fire lines. Arbelez is next. He really hits the changes with some burning licks. Well, he wrote the changes to it, so it uh, sounds mm. like he did it to have fun with, uh, and he does that really well. Hall is ready for this challenge too. Some speedy rhythmic slide work. Good piano solo as well. And then the sax and bone are back with a new super tight melody line. Uh, it's like a second melody that comes in. Then they split off to trade phrases for a bit near the end. And then uh, Kenner gets a drum solo. Sax and trombone are back for the original melody. Uh, listen for the sudden false ending and the slow final phrase to end it all up. Seven, the Tiger's Ritual. So rolling rubato piano chords uh, and guitar. Uh, as an intro, the cymbals introduce a Latin beat, and Hall introduces the soaring melody. It changes up between swing and Latin uh, for that nice contrast. Uh, Hall is up for a solo first, building bright melodic phrases. He hits the melody on the Latin beat and then gets some uh, modal ideas and uh, cool tricky slide work in his solo. This was pretty intriguing, this whole track, yeah. just you know, the changing rhythm and then the modes. Yeah. Oh, man. Very cool. It's, plays on and on. Uh, his chops never get tired. Get some soaring melodies, uh, seductive trills uh, ending down low. And Valenzuela's guitar solo with some dreamy double stops and cool rhythmic figures uh, over the Latin 
part to uh, end up. Steel gets a uh, interesting solo as well, rapid runs, and then uh, Latin rhythms before easing back into another round of the melody from Hall with some more soaring lines and rhythms as it fades out. <laughs> oh, fade yeah, that drove yeah. me crazy. Because yeah. I thought the solos in this were really great, and I was like, oh, no, no I want to keep going, yeah. keep going, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know? Yeah, as it, as That fade kind of drove me crazy, I gotta say. This uh, composition has lots of... Uh, things to feed the fire of solos with those rhythmic change-ups and, uh, you know, mm. good spots to put in modal things. And yeah, really cool. All right, now we're going to get some real craziness. <laughs> we sure are. Uh, 3G, which I guess in the notes it was his uh, apartment number or something. That was the inspiration. This one's going to drop from outer space with these ridiculous uh, altissimo theremin-like notes. I said theremin too. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Wow. <laughs> they just like, uh, you know, come in. If you didn't know this was a trombone album, you wouldn't know, uh, you know, what's creating these tones. Uh, they come right in uh, from the stratosphere and then Hall gets down really low with some uh, harmonics again. He works through some rapid phrases, uh, then uh, way, way down low. Uh, next, alternating uh, agile higher lines with low harmonies, uh, finishing off with a bluesy riff and some alternating high E's uh, up to a G and back to the E. So this was you, pretty riveting. This you show track, off. I say. You show off. <laughs> I know, <laughs> right? Everyone would do, would do that if they could. Yeah, fabulous trombone playing. Uh, yeah. You know, you haven't heard this kind of stuff since like Bill Watrous or. You know, some of those masters. So it's just a pleasure to hear someone with uh, these chops and uh, cool, fun ideas to uh, yeah. do with them. And we finish up with uh, Charlie's Harley. Uh, this one's uh, a <laughs> good title. Yeah, cool title. Uh, fun tune. Uh, fun. Man. This, <laughs> high speed. Yeah. It's high speed this fun. This one, uh, not only is it fast, but it's got some great horn lines and some real tricky rhythmic things that they keep up. Uh, the, these little rhythmic variations through the solos. So you got to be on your toes to get through this one. Starts with some descending sax and trombone lines uh, that introduce this burning, uh, real boppy kind of tune. Uh, wow, it's fast. Uh, trombone mm -hmm. and sax trade off on the bridge and then join back in for the final section. Arbalest is up first for another burning alto solo. But as I said, they keep up this kind of syncopated rhythmic breakups during the solo. So everyone has to be on their toes as they get through uh, their own solo parts. Uh, it's hard to even catch a breath at this tempo. Uh, yeah. But uh, Arbalest gets some real soaring notes on the bridge. Uh, very cool. Hall is up to the challenge too. I'd really like to see him play this. I want to see. Let's see. I guess that slide going so fast. Uh, he maintains good articulation even at this speed. Uh, gets some soaring lines in as well. Nice uh, fast boppy piano solo too uh, from Chatil, and he handles the rhythmic change up like uh, an obstacle course. I can see mm. like running over these uh, syncopated hurdles and stuff. Valenzuela, nice uh, fast chops on guitar too. Then they trade round with Kenner on the drums. It's a little extended bit uh, before they race through this uh, ridiculous melody head once more. Uh, still enough in the tank for some great new ideas on the Saxon trombone bridge improv spots. Uh, so they still uh, have ideas in the tank uh, when they get uh, through there. So yeah. What can I say? This is a fabulous debut album. It's, um, I mean, Matt Hall is an awesome trombone player, great chops, uh, nice compositions. These are really heavy, uh, focused on swing 
Always a good tempo. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But some tasty ballad playing too. Uh, really nice arrangements and a really positive, fun uh, listen all the way through. And, and even comic at times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of variety and it's uh, it's light and there's uh, it's a bit of humor in there too. That's always a good thing to hear. It's nice when you have that when you have chops like that. It's good to have some yeah, but ideas like that to it. too. It's yeah. just fantastic, you know. Yeah. It's a, it's a really appealing album. Yeah, this is really good. Uh, so all trombone players, all brass players, you got to check this out. Just all jazz people. Oh, you it's know, a great jazz or, album. You know, it's a great yeah. it's a great jazz album. I liked it a lot. Yeah. So uh, I'll be uh, looking to see what he records next. Really fun recording. Yeah, wow. and it's been a really fun. Uh, Week of listening, I guess. Yeah. I think I think we pretty much were at least interested in everything we heard. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's really good yeah. variety of things. Uh, yeah, and we got some, uh, especially focused on American music, but not from America. So that was kind of interesting. You know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, How about that? Yeah, we got German so we and go French title. Uh, French uh, takes on American uh, classic yeah. repertoire. So, yeah, very right cool. and schmaltz. This was the first episode that featured Schmaltz, I Schmaltz, think. Heavily, heavy on the Schmaltz, yeah. 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 Schmaltz, Schmaltz liquor. <laughs> Schmaltz that's, that's, that's a good title. We should use that one, maybe. One. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we might not convey the exact uh, no, not, uh, meaning that we want. See, this is a problem. It's a good title, but the, you don't want to, mm. like, talk to the musicians and say, hey, we talked about you yeah. on our episode, uh, yeah, Schmaltz, our liquor. episode Schmaltz Liquor. Yeah, on our episode Schmaltz Forever associated with that title. Horrible. Right. Right. All right. Maybe uh, someone will use it as an album title. That'll be cool. <laughs> it could be a good I can think of a couple covers that would work for that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. Okay. Any uh, hints for next week? Uh, next week? Yeah, I really don't know. I have... Okay. I, I have a, maybe a Baroque... Vogue. We haven't done a Baroque in a while, have we? It's been a couple of weeks, I think, yeah. Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks. Maybe we'll get one of those next week. And uh, I don't know. I'm still waiting for a lot of stuff to to show up. It's okay. sort of... Uh, there's a by the, there's a jazz um, rite of spring that I want to talk about, but I still don't have... We could Sounds do it, interesting. I mean, but, but um, I've, I've actually heard it. It was really good. Mm. Um, but um, I guess we could do it. But I was kind of... I, I wanted to get the CDs. I liked it a lot and uh, listened to it that way, but I don't have it yet. They haven't even shipped it yet. Oh. So um, all right, waiting for that. But we could uh, maybe not next week. We'll do that soon. That's the um, if anyone wants to check that out, it's the Jim McNeely big band. Mm. I think okay, it's, it's a good recording. But it, I think it needs some unpack. Well, it doesn't. It's it's appealing. But if you know the right of spring, you'll love it right away. Right, the Stravinsky composition, and it's that time of year. So it is. Yeah, maybe we should mm. do that soon. We should do it. Maybe in two in two weeks or so, we'll do it. I don't know. Or maybe I don't know. I'll think about it. Maybe right. maybe next week. Just let me know. Yeah. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, this episode uh, got some American classics and uh, some debut variety jazz and another Renitsky recording. Thanks again, Daniel, for those uh, CDs. Yeah. Thanks for the CDs. I love CDs. This great uh, new release of oboe compositions from Renitsky. We'll be enjoying that for days to come, weeks to come, and looking forward to more Renitsky. Uh, this has been episode 55. Of adult music. We'll be listening to those until like uh, the weather turns and we, we want to brood again. <laughs> <laughs> Something brooding. Uh, remember, uh, you can find all the recordings uh, available on streaming this week uh, in the links uh, in the episode description which, for Apple yeah, which, Music. 
which doesn't happen every week. So that make sure you happen. listen to yeah. them. <laughs> when Mike picks a Hyperion recording. Uh, Hyperion. They're the only ones. They're the only, only ones. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much, pretty much well, everyone. Sony else doesn't have some there. stuff, but they usually have what I pick. So, yeah. I don't know. or uh, come on to Deezer, to find the uh, playlist of everything in one location. Uh, also, thanks again to Fast Signs of Staten Island for our adult music logo. Yeah, and, thanks, uh, Rich. If you meet us on the street, we'll give you one of our huge collection of business cards uh, yeah we have a thousand business cards if anyone yeah. wants one so thanks again, uh, rich for I, those I think, I think i'm going to hand these on to my uh grandchildren or something <laughs> you never know there's so many of them uh for that catchy new logo and uh yeah who knows uh we don't know what we're going to do next week yet but we'll know by tomorrow so if you go into deezer you can uh find yeah, i'm calling it there. now i'm going to I'm going to have a jazz recording right of spring. I'm going to do that. Okay. That's my crossover sort of thing. All right. That'll be one of my three. Springy theme. Uh, yeah. We should have done that today. With the uh, Nitsky. I, I didn't think about uh, it though, but you know, I didn't know the Ranitsky was going to be so spring-like, you know, when yeah. we heard it. So. All anyway. right. Well, until next week, then uh, please do like, subscribe, follow on whatever platform you're on. And we'll be back again next week for episode 56 and until then, keep listening, and we'll see you again next time.